Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. This is hour oh, number yeah. 17 of the 25-hour Houston Texans Battle Red Radio podcast apocalypse. Um, how are you doing, Pat? Are you excited for hour number 17? Bring it. I only got <laughs> up about an hour and, an hour and a half ago, so I'm about as wig as I'm ever going to be. Yeah. Well, that's like a, that's 10 o'clock out over there. That's an early morning. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I, but when I came back on the uh, show early, earlier, I had only been up like 15 minutes. So, oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, I know. I so I know for this for I guess kind of the plans for the next couple of hours is Tim's going to come on, and uh, and then Mike Meltzer will be on at, from two o'clock, uh, and then Jeremy will join me at three o'clock, and Mike will probably be on for a little while after that time as well too, and then it'll be Jeremy and Kenneth at four o'clock. And then I'll come back on at six with the call and block for uh, two people. And then starting at six o'clock, my friend, my good friend Taylor will come on and then rivers will come on at, uh, at seven o'clock with Luke. And then Tim will come on at uh, nine at eight o'clock with rivers as well to end everything for tonight. So that's the plan that we have uh, going forward for the rest of today. Sounds good. You excited for it? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, who wouldn't be, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I think everything's going uh, very well so far, um, considering everything. And we have we're about to add the one and only the big man himself, Tim. How are you doing, Tim? You doing? Hey, did, did you have a good time last spells. night? Did I what? Did y'all have a good time last night? We had a blast, and I, I can't say enough good things about everything I heard <laughs> after that. And so far this morning, it's just been everybody's been doing a great job. I don't know how uh, Patrick and Jeremy and Carlos, especially did nine hours straight. I understand. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you guys were able to power through last night like that, but God bless you. You're doing an awesome job. I don't know how they did it either. Cause I, I dropped out after like, it would be about three, I guess the all's time. Cause honestly, by that point I was, I was pretty verschnockered and really getting tired. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, uh, it was very, very impressive. And, and this morning, uh, I listened a little bit to, um, uh, Mike and uh, Kenneth, and then you guys had Stefan and Seth and all that. Just just an amazing, outstanding job. Yeah, we're having a good time. I called in, I think, at 6 this morning, and I think Joe just taking another shot of something. So <laughs> I think I think they had a good time uh, drinking some spice liquor to carry on through the night. <laughs> it, it really reminded me of the Star Spangled Banner. I woke up this morning, the podcast was still there, and I, <laughs> I, felt, I felt so proud to be an American and a, and a Balra blogian at that moment. No, I, I saw Joe. I saw Joe uh, enter right before I went to went to sleep last night. It was like he. He was fired up about the draft. He was he was at getting after it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to go back tomorrow and listen to whatever madness uh, ensued. Yes. And Car- Carlos had a really good trivia question. I think you like this one, Tim. Okay. So which player in Texans franchise history had an approximate value of zero over the course of 63 games played? 63 games. An approximate value of zero. So we're talking about uh, more or less four seasons worth. Um, approximate value of zero. Is he, he can't still be on the roster. Um, fuck. man, I'm gonna have to think about that. I'm gonna have to think about it. That's a great question. Um, God, 63 games. Is it somebody that, that would be considered well-known to Texans fans? I, to us sickos. Yeah. He's very well known. And whenever you'll hear it, you'd be like, Oh yeah, that makes complete and total sense. To us sickos, he's very well known. Oh, yeah. 
Man, I gotta think it about it. I don't remember who it was. That's how how obscure the guy is. Say that again. It took me a while to remember who it was, and I was playing the game, so that's how obscure the guy is. How about Petey Fagans? No, I think I I'll that was look my guess. P- I have to look at Petey's. Is uh, it's Jay Proch? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Never would have gotten that. I have not thought about that name since uh, one of us wrote the post about Jay Proch being cut. Well, probably one of the worst players I've ever watched as well, too. Oh, give it. I, I think you're. I think you're underselling a lot of other guys. I mean, he's a fullback. He's never going to knock your socks off. There were a lot of guys that were way, way more actively bad than than Jay was. I just watched so many like, lead plays with Bill O'Brien where he's leading for Alfred Blue and he hits a linebacker and just falls down. And there's like a huge <laughs> hole. It's like if he just touches the guy, makes contact, or seven yards, <laughs> he would just fall over every single time. Uh, um, P.D. Fagans had an approximate value of 16. In how many the, games did he play? Let's see. He played 84 games with the Houston Texans, 36 games started. So I was, I was way underselling how many games he played. I, I – I can't. So he, oh, man. So he was there, damn near five years, or at least at least almost five years worth of games. Yeah, he was there from oh two to oh eight. God, six years. Oh, oh. And he played. He played one season with Detroit. He's like Alfred Blue of the of the cornerback group because Blue had all of his carries were with uh, the Houston Texans. He had zero carries for another team. See, but Blue Blue like Blue was never productive. But I don't remember him having nearly as many disastrous plays as Petey did. It's just hard at running back, you know. It's hard it to be it's hard to be a, a disaster at that position. It is, it is. Even in Bill O'Brien's offense, it's true. So who do you think was the worst quarterback, Tim? <laughs> Petey Fagans or Brandon Harris? Oof. Man. Who was worse? You know, I guess the angle on it is Petey saw the field more, so we had more active horror from him. But the fact that Brandon Harris couldn't get on the field may well mean that he was actually worse. Um, You know what? I'll go ahead and say Brandon Harris, and, and I guess the tiebreaker for me is that we burned a second-round pick on him. Petey was a seventh-round pick. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Petey played and, and Petey didn't play well, but Brandon Harris was a second round pick. Couldn't even get on the field. And when he did, he was, he was real bad. So I, yeah. I'd, give, I'd give the, I'd give the edge to Brandon Harris. I agree with that too. I think the other thing about Harris is that every single time he thought he made a play, he'd lose his mind and you know, wave his arms everywhere. <laughs> and then he right. turned around, he was called for defensive <laughs> pass here. Like every right. single time he defends the pass, there was a, a penalty behind him as well too. Uh, unfortunately for him, there was a lot of flying in the no fly zone. Well, that's why he was called the no-fly zone, because he wasn't allowed to fly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've told this story before, too, but I'll tell it again for anybody who hasn't, who, doesn't, who hasn't heard it before. I mean, I have a very vivid memory of, being, of jumping out of my recliner and pumping my fist when the Texans <laughs> traded up to draft Brandon Harris. I was ecstatic. Really, really happy. And uh, just, you know, yet another example to show I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, I was really, really excited about him in the second round. They traded up to get him. I thought he was one of the better corners in the draft, and he was actively wretched his entire time here. I only really remember like one game out of him, and uh, and he started on the outside. I think he had like three penalties, and like they're all defensive pass interference penalties where he thought he made a play. They they tried to get him on the field. Um, 
he didn't play much at all his rookie year, but I feel like his second year they went in and like it, he wasn't given a starting spot, but it was certainly expected he was going to contribute and be in the rotation. They tried to force him into it at the beginning, and he was so bad that he very quickly got benched. I mean, yeah, he, he really was wasn't on the field much. <laughs> it was hard to fully hate him. I think if we had more uh, time with him, it would have been a little bit different. So, Pat, there's been a, a lot of tattoos in the history of the Houston Texans. <laughs> so we have Jay Proch's Hebrew tattoo, uh, Chris Myers's tribal tattoo. We have Arian Foster's Pharaoh tattoo and C.J. Fedorowicz's bald eagle with the with the American flag. Are there any tattoos I'm missing at all oh, that, God, I, that we um, should add to the list? Jesus, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Because I just can't remember any of them. I've never. <laughs> I think you got like the big ones because I can't really think of any of the bigger, like any other weird tattoos that other guys might have had. Can you think of any Tim at all? Not off the top of my head. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure there's a few tramp stamp jokes we could make here, but I'll keep it above the board. <laughs> um, not off the top of my head. C.J. Fedorowitz, as I think, was the most amazing because uh, it was so visible. And uh, and so patriotic, and sadly, um, you know, we, we never got to see enough of it. Yeah, I, I mean, that was a, that was always going to lead to what the best tattoo was, and I agree with that as well. I think it was Fedorowitz's eagle, and if he sat down whenever he was on the field, that was you protesting this country. That's how patriotic that flag was. Right on. That's how beautiful that mm-hmm. tattoo was. Right on. God bless America. You said it earlier. God bless America. <laughs> Indeed. So, so if you want to talk about Deshaun Watson for a little bit more, Tim, I think there's three paths the Texans could take with the Watson trade if they do trade him. I think you trade him possibly for a young franchise quarterback if that's on the table, whether that's trying to trade him for you know Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert, uh, which they, either the one of those teams may not even do. The second option is to get as much draft capital as possible, and I think the third option is trading to him to a team with a lot of young defensive talent, whether it's Washington with their defensive line. Um, and Cameron Curl and uh, some of their young linebacker play, like Cole Holcomb, or Carolina, where you could get Gross Matos and Brian Burns and Jeremy Chen and Derek Brown and maybe a draft pick or two. If you had to trade to Sean Watson, like which sort of path would you take to for a trade package? Would you just try to get as much draft capital as possible and burn it all down or try to turn into a whole new defense or just try to get a quarterback who you've already seen some video on already? Uh, I think the path I would take is is if you can get a young franchise quarterback, by all means. But I don't think that uh, I don't think necessarily Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert are going to be uh, marketed by their current teams. And I don't. I mean, truth be told, I, I probably just admittedly am very biased against Kyle, Kyler Murray because of the OU and and to a lesser degree A and M thing. But I, I'm still I'm still not I'm still not buying on him. Um, Justin Herbert, if, if you could do it, I think that's probably the number one choice, but you, I can't fathom the Chargers doing it. So then it becomes a question of, you know, what's the better path after that? I think it's just getting draft picks. Uh, and if it, the thing that we kind of talked about last night was it really comes down to uh, how much does Casario or the Texans or anybody else believe in Tua? Because if you believe in Tua and you think he can be a franchise quarterback, that Dolphins trade makes a lot more sense. Um I think, though, you know, I'm not sold on him, uh, no matter what anybody else is or isn't. So I would say that the package I would be far more interested in would be getting draft picks. And if you can get some guys that can contribute to the defense, young veterans, guys that are on cheaper contracts, all the better. But the draft picks would be the first and foremost thing I was looking for. 
Yeah, I agree with that too. I kind of look at it as I would think the Jets would be the best package where you can get two first round picks because the Jamal Adams trade and then two or four first round picks and two second round picks. And maybe ask for Quinn Williams. I, I don't think it really matters to me um, that much at all whatsoever. I know Football Outsiders wrote that article as like bold, like ideas for every team. And the one for the Texans was to trade Watson for Justin Herbert. But again, like I don't think it's a, a decision I could see the, the Chargers making. What about you, Pat? Which one would you pick out of the three options? Um, I would say, hmm, if we could get a younger quarterback, that would be good. But I think considering we're going to be garbage for the next few years, we really need the draft capital more than anything else. So I would say probably more, I would say I'd be more in favor of getting like a lot of draft picks instead of just the, uh, just the quarterback and some draft picks. Let me turn it around on you guys. If you're the Jets, are you trading four first rounders and Sam four first rounders and Sam Darnold for uh, Deshaun Watson? I don't think you'd even include Darnold in that. I think you make a different, a separate trade with Darnold to a different team. You know, if the Texans said we want Darnold for whatever okay. reason, we want to we want to try him on, give him a year or two, see if he can if he can do it, and if not, you know, we're happy to let him walk. If the, assume the Texans wanted Darnold, because you're right, maybe they don't. But if the Texans wanted Darnold, if you were running the Jets, would you trade four ones? Say, say your your four first round picks because they have two next year as well, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would you trade exactly. two first rounders this year, two first rounders next year, and Sam Darnold to the Texans for Deshaun Watson if you were running the Jets? I would. I think I would too. They've never had a good quarterback, mm-hmm. and you're do you have a top five quarterback. Like their defense is is like average. And there's a lot of like kind of like unknown talent on that team that nobody knows unless you watch the Jets play, you know, pretty consistently. What if the Texans said we also need Quinn and Williams? You still yeah. make the trade? Yeah, that wouldn't change my mind at all. Okay. Okay. Pat, what do you think? I don't know. Four first round seems kind of steep for me if I'm the Jets. I'd yep. probably probably knock it down to maybe three or two. I mean, the front our front office is dumb enough to probably take it. I'd probably just try to see if they're try to see how much I can get away with before having to, you know, pay the farm. Yeah. If you're another team, you should absolutely try to take advantage of the Texans. And if they're dumb enough to send you Deshaun for two first round picks, laugh and make it happen. Yeah. But I think as down as we are on the Texans, I can't fathom that they would actually let Deshaun go for any less than three first rounders. And they probably should be saying we want four and starting negotiations with, we want five. Right. Well, what do you what do you think about Tua, Tim? Do you like? Are you a Tua fan? Are you a man of the Pisces like Tua is? I am a man of the Pisces. We are. I am a Pisces. But uh, but but in terms of my Tua fan, man, I would say no. I don't think he's done enough. I don't think he did enough as a rookie to uh, for for everyone to be necessarily as down on him as they are. He wasn't impressive, but it wasn't like he was great. And it wasn't like he had a whole lot of uh, help around him. Um. I would say I would kind of be meh on Tua. I'm not. I'm not against him, but I'm certainly not a champion of him. If he, the only reason to bring to bring him aboard, if you're making that trade, is to say we're going to get that third pick because we have Tua. We want to see what Tua can do for a year or two on a cheap rookie deal. We're going to trade that third overall pick. We're going to trade back so we're comfortable with Tua being our guy for a year or two. We're going to use that third pick and trade it to somebody who does want a quarterback this year, and it's got to be part of the long game. That's the only reason that I would want to is is if it was with the understanding of we are definitely trading that third pick to someone that's going to come up to get Fields or Wilson or whoever. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even consider that possibility of it. Where you would, if you took to it, you have him on his rookie contract for, I guess, the next three years. He has the fifth fifth year option because this right. was the first year of his rookie deal. Right. Um, and then if you have three overall, you trade down a lot. And I think that's kind of like the key thing for the NFL draft this year is to trade down as much as possible without yep. the combine with the short NCAA season. Uh, and I think a lot of these teams are going to really put so much influence into the Senior Bowl, which there's nothing like you know, data wise that says the Senior Bowl is any better than anything else to, to pick and scout players. Well, and I mean, look at, you know, to, to kind of focus on that, like, look, when you're looking at Trey Lance, like think about the projecting you're having to do. He was amazing two years ago. He played one game this year. The the traits and the tools are all there for sure. But man, that is a huge leap of faith when you're talking about a guy that's probably going to go in the top 10, certainly the top half of the draft, I would think. I mean, that's a huge, huge projection you're making with very, very little data compared to what you normally would have. Mm-hmm. And, and like with Tua, I think he can throw three routes well. He can throw a slant, he can throw the seam, and he can throw the flat. And it's like everything else other than that, you know, he has holes in his game on. Uh, but like he's mobile, he moves really well. I, he seems like a smart guy, even though I think he it, he saw the game pretty slow last year too. The other thing about Tua that we forget about is that it makes Tyus Howard the blindside protector because he's left-handed. And now you don't have to have Larry Tunsil for $19.4 million because he's no longer the blindside protector that – you know, Warren's two first-round picks and a second-round pick. Well, well, you also got Kenny Stills, so don't forget that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that, that, that was really what the second-round pick was for, was Kenny Stills. <laughs> um, the two ones were for Tunsil. But uh, I think we're all in agreement. If you're trading Deshaun, you got to trade Tunsil. There's there's no reason not to. Um, and if you're signing two, if, if two is on your team, then it makes it even more – makes it even more likely that that you get rid of Tunsil. So, it, all right, well, we've got a question in the chat here. Um, first off, Darnold or Tua, who would you prefer in a vacuum? Tua. Yep. I'd pick Tua too, but, like, I think Darnold has the higher ceiling because, like, the 5% amazing that he pulls off is, like, you know, spectacular. And he's made more, like, big throws than, like, big, like, like talent throws that Tua has ever thrown, you know. I was very high on Darnold coming out. I think the Jets have done him no favors through the coaching and personnel and all those things. I don't think he's so far gone yet that that he can't be a reclamation project with the right coach. I just don't know that necessarily uh, David Cully and uh, and uh, Tim Kelly are the guys to uh, pull him from the abyss, so to speak. So I, I'd, I'd say Tua as well. We've got uh, Pat, you said Tua. I, I, we've got another question here. What if Houston decided to send Deshaun to Chicago? What would that trade package look like? I don't. Even, I don't even know if I can come up with one. I mean, I it's like, either, it's like first round pick, second round pick. You know, this year, next year, and then it's like you're kind of rebuilding their entire defense. But they have a veteran defense that's expensive. You know, like Akeem Hicks is expensive, Quill Max expensive, Rokon Smith expensive, J- Dan Trevathan's expensive, Fuller's expensive. You know. Like uh, I guess Eddie Jackson's probably like the only good young player in a rookie contract, and Blackman was pretty good last year, cornerback or not Blackman. Uh, well, I think Love was the rookie cornerback they had, but those are like the only two guys that are valuable in the extent. I just don't see Chicago as a potential option all whatsoever. I don't see it either. I don't know how Chicago could put together a package that didn't involve them giving you like, well, they can't give you five ones, right? Because they don't have you can't you can't trade except what is it three years in the future? Yeah, so, it's three years. So it would have to be something like three ones, three twos, three threes, and maybe a player or two. And even then, man, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a package that would be that they could put together that would be enticing enough compared to what you would get from Miami or the Jets or or maybe even some other teams. So I, I don't, 
I don't know that there is a feasible package the Bears could put together. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, Houston football also said the person asked the previous question that I guess they've resigned A. Jackson to a long-term contract. So that's not an option as well either. Like they are, they're a very expensive veteran defense and it doesn't offer the same possibilities that um, like Carolina does, for example, if you, if you want to rebuild like the entirety of your defense in the off season by you turning to Sean Watson into that. Let me ask you guys this, and you, and you may have talked about it as, at another portion of the podcast. What do you think the trade that, what do you think it would require to get Russell Wilson in trade as opposed to Deshaun? I think we all kind of think Deshaun takes at least three first round picks, maybe four. What do you think Russell Wilson costs you if you're trying to acquire him? At least one first, I think. Possibly two. I think for sure two. At least yeah, two. Because I mean, he's he's older, so he's not he doesn't scramble quite as well as he used to. But uh, definitely, definitely less than Deshaun, obviously. But mm-hmm. two first rounders, or maybe a first and two seconds, maybe if you got a dumb enough team. So if you're the Bears, um. If you're the Bears, I think Russell Wilson makes a lot more sense than Deshaun does. Deshaun's yeah. probably out of your price range. Russell Wilson's still going to cost you a ton, but if you can make the salary cap of it work, I think Russell Wilson makes a whole lot more sense for the Bears, especially with a veteran defense. Yeah, I know Wilson, yeah. this is his age 33 season, and uh, I think it would take at least two first-round picks just to start a conversation, right. and then you have to add stuff from there, but I think it would be a minimum of two. I would expect it would take like at least two firsts and a second – um, and even probably more on top of that, you know, I think like the Louis Tensler trade is the starting point for Russell Wilson. And pro- and, and Russell Wilson's a more valuable player than Laramie Tunsil is. He's mm-hmm. older um, and, and now more expensive than Tunsil was when they acquired when the Texans acquired him. But man, I, I really think I, if you're the Bears, I don't know, two ones, two twos, and a three for a still pretty good quarterback. Yeah, yeah, that's a good deal. I think I think you probably it hurts, but to acquire him is going to hurt. Better that than than to try to get uh, what you can get for Desha- what what it would take to get for Deshaun, and and with a veteran quarterback, it kind of mm-hmm. goes more on your timeline of having a veteran defense. So when it you know there, there's a little bit more better overlap here, assuming you can make the salary cap work, which may not be possible. You may have to part with guys that you don't want to part with to acquire Wilson. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well too. And I don't I don't know. I just think Wilson be bad. In, I think it's a bad spot from Chicago. Uh, I think the other option for the Bears too is I could see them train for Marcus Mariota because he seems perfect for uh, their, you know, their other little screen passes, all their cute little gimmicky stuff. I think Mariota is a, is a perfect quarterback for the Chicago Bears that they wanted to trade, you know, a third round pick or whatever it takes to bring them there from Las Vegas. How much better is Mariota than Mitchell Trubisky? Probably like 15%. Because uh, at least Mariota has some. I don't even know if I'd go that high. I think Mariota has like some level of accuracy, you know. Yeah, that then that that may well be true, but I mean, are you, do you God, is it worth the is is it worth what it would cost? Because you'd have to trade for Mariota. What do you think you'd have to trade for him? Probably a third. Is it worth trading a third round pick for a fifteen percent upgrade at quarterback? Guess, well, they don't have they don't have Trubisky all this year, so he's a free agent this year. So I think it would. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think he would be all right in Nagy's offense too. You know, like all the little screen passes and. All the motion and it's it's like it's like a spread offense not being a spread offense, you know. If I was a Bears, if I was a Bears fan and you tried to tell me that we were upgrading from Trubisky to Mariota and it cost a third round pick to do it, I wouldn't be buying what you were selling. 
Well, the thing is, I seem to th- I seem to recall when he was starting for Tennessee. Tennessee just ha- had the wrong kind of offense for him, and it was just <clears throat> wasn't it that exotic myth mouth crap that we kept making yeah. fun of? Yeah, and that's just not the way. That's not the kind of offense he ran at Oregon. He was always it was more of a uh, more wide open, more downfield stuff, more scrambling. It was just not the kind of offense he ran. So I think. If Nagy's offense is like that, and I have no idea, I don't watch Chicago Bears football at all, it probably would be a decent fit for him. I can see that. It's just, it's just a question. I mean, I, I don't disagree with any of that in theory. I just don't know that. I mean, you're, you're going to pay a third round pick for that. And well, I think about, I think that kind of like lets Mary off the hook too, because like Ken Wisenhunt ran offense for him, and they went like three and thirteen that year, you know. And, uh, and like even watching what Ryan Tannehill did, you know, in Tennessee coming off of, you know, the 2019 season, whenever he replaced Mariota game, he was like eight for 19 with three interceptions and, and lost the starting job. And like Mariota's had plenty of opportunities in a, in a wide variety of offenses and never really shown anything in any of them, you know, even if it's like run the ball, play action, throw deep, he couldn't do that as well either. I think Mariota is another prime example of how so much of whether you're going to be successful on this level as a quarterback depends on where you go, you know, your coaching fit. He went to Ken Wisenhunt and failed, and that was it. So, apologize for the dog. It's all good. Yeah. I wasn't sure whose it was, yours or Matt's. No, 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 no. It's definitely it's one of mine. Uh, it's, it's, he's, he's got no manners. He's got no respect for the podcast. Um, no respect at all. No, pe- people are walking by the house and he's, he's trying to defend it by barking and being a general pain in the ass. Um, but I mean, he, Mariota went to Ken Wizen to a Ken Wisenhunt offense and washed out. And then he had, he had uh, malarkey after that. Like none of it worked, none of it worked. And I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think that, Mariota was ever put in a position to succeed, and he certainly didn't necessarily do a lot to help himself. But so much of it was just where he went. Yeah, and, and, and that's something about Chicago too. Like at least there's some allure of upside if you trade for you know Mariota um, compared to because I, I again I just don't think even like from Seattle's perspective I want to trade you know, Russell Wilson to Chicago. I wouldn't trade Russell Wilson to begin with at all. I think that's a different environment than the Watson environment. Because I think the Wilson one is something that could be solved with you know some conversations and some hand holding and cuddling, you know, and learning to draft offensive linemen. Because that's really the big thing. That's Wilson's biggest gripe is they don't know how to draft offensive linemen, and they just haven't in- invested the money except for Dwayne Brown, which I miss. Him. I'm glad to see him. I'm I miss him, and I'm glad to see him at the same time. So <laughs> that one out. Um, but aside from what. So I from Brown, they really haven't invested money in their offensive line at all since twenty since the year they won the Super Bowl. And even then, that was kind of a bargained offensive line. So the thing is, he's kind of tired of getting pulverized, kind of trying he doesn't want to he doesn't want to challenge David Carr for the single season sack record, I think is what I'm trying to get out here. And I think if they don't try to invest in if they don't like change how they do things with the regards to the offensive line. He does want to get out because he doesn't want to die. I, I do think some of that's overblown in Seattle though, because the Seahawks are built to like it, with the seller cap, you're never going to be great at everything. And so one of the things that works with them and their offense is that, you know, Russell Wilson doesn't need a great offensive line because of his scrambling ability. 
and his ability to make throws on the move and the way that he can uh, create plays out of nothing. And they've always had really great running backs at breaking tackles too, whether it was Marshawn Lynch or even a year Thomas Rawls whenever. I think he led the league in DVOA that year in Seattle uh, before he got hurt and fell apart. And even with Chris Carson the previous two years too, like they're, you, they're a team that's kind of been built around like, well, we don't really need a, a great offensive line at all. We don't even need an average offensive line because of the players that we have around them. Like that's the reason why they've been able to be successful, you know? So I don't like, it's hurt Wilson in a, in a big extent as far as like his body and like how much their inability to like have like a confident offensive structure that makes the game easy to play in. But at the same time, like they're able to invest otherwise and their team kind of works out as a whole because of their lack of investment in the offensive line too. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, but here's the, here's the other thing. Wilson's not scrambling as well anymore either. So I think his interest in getting an offensive line, like more investment in the offensive line is because of that. So if he can't, he's losing one of his primary, What one of the things that really made him special. I mean, he's still a great passer and he's still like, he still does things that I don't know how the hell he does. Like Watson has, like Watson does all the time. But I just, he, if he can't, he's losing that ability to scramble. He knows what he's going to be capable of, and he wants there to be something to keep him from getting killed. That's, I think, the problem here. Yeah, he's, he's 31. He's not as fast as he used to be. He probably is looking at, you know, the next phase of his career and saying it, it doesn't benefit me or the team at all for me to get the snot beat out of me uh, every time. You can't build the team as though I'm still 25 because I'm not and I'm not going to be again. Right. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the gap, I guess, in like that analysis. But I guess, I guess that's kind of like what it was on previously, you know. But now we're looking at the future and well, how do you build a team on Russell Wilson at age thirty-five and age thirty-six instead of currently how it's been constructed, where they've been able to get by um, without it, let him play like a like a top ten level still um, without with like Ethan Potchich as their starting center and you know having uh, Brandon Shell coming at right tackle and get hurt instead of Kugubehi playing at right tackle and just constantly picking up like fail first round bus from other teams that they selected in the first round, bring them to Seattle and getting you know, below average production out of them. You know, maybe Casario is playing three dimensional chess and he's going to trade Brit back to the Seahawks for a first rounder. Maybe so. Or maybe, that's uh, all or maybe, maybe, that's maybe Brit plays zero snaps and he gets a six round pick out of them. Kind of like how Jack Eastry did with Eli Anku. And I think Eastry is very underrated as a general manager because that was the only <laughs> move. And he got a pick out of a player who played zero snaps with the, the team he was managing, you know? I, I think he needs to hire you to be his publicist. He needs somebody. He needs somebody to cape for him because there's nobody, <laughs> nobody willing these days. I think I can He's do that. Gonna do it himself. I, I I completely believe you could do that. I, I would much rather listen to you uh, talk, and speak, and tweet um, inspirational sayings than any more Jack Easterby. I we like we I think we talked about this months ago. Like we're we're never going to see Jack Easterby do a press conference again. It's done. It is absolutely done. Oh, or, yeah. even, or even on a conference call. I don't think we'll even no. ever even hear him on a conference call again. No, you will You will not see him. And I wouldn't even be surprised if at some point when he does separate himself from the organization, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't find out about it right away. If it was done very quietly and then after the fact we find out that he resigned a month ago or two months ago or something like that. So, uh, Tim, are you still in the camp that you think Eastby is resigned sometime this year, gets moved into a different role sometime this year? I think that by the time the 2020, 
22 offseason. So after this next year, I think he'll be gone before free agency. Okay. I, I, I do believe that. But I, again, man, I was, I was convinced that as the SI articles came out and all the anger and vitriol about Easterby came out, I never thought in a million years he would still be here. Whether it was him resigning or, or Cal saying, we're going to let you go, we're going to pay out your contract, but you can't be around here anymore. I never thought he'd still be here after all we've seen since January. Um, and, and here he is. So me saying that I think he's gone before free agency begins next offseason, probably more wishful thinking than anything else. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way Seth, uh, Steph put it was really well, where she said, well, think about the person who makes you the happiest and makes you feel the best about yourself. And that's what Jack Eastby is for Cal McNair at the moment. You know, and, and I know there's been some speculation, especially on local radio in the last week or two, that, that maybe it's not all Cal that's that's uh, necessarily protecting Easterby. Maybe it's other people in the McNair family. Uh, maybe there's maybe there's other people in the organization that think that, uh, you know, he should still be here because, I mean, d- does Cal McNair, I know we, I know we say yeah. Cal McNair doesn't care and we say Cal McNair doesn't, you know, he's, he's, he's obtuse and he doesn't understand and da, da, da. But I mean, d- does he strike you as the kind of guy who's going to be able to weather all this negative attention? Cause he doesn't to me, I, I don't, he, he doesn't to me strike me as the kind of guy who's going to be able to handle everyone in the city despising him especially when there's an easy way to lessen that rage just by dismissing Easterby. I, I mean, if he truly is that, if he truly is that talented at being able to block it all out, maybe I've totally underestimated him, but I, I just can't, he doesn't strike me every time you've seen him talk and, and the way he interacts, he doesn't strike me as somebody with a tremendously thick skin who's going to be able to weather all these slings and arrows of people coming after him saying, you're ruining the team, you're, you're a disgrace to the city, all that. You know, so it does make me think that if there aren't other forces at work here besides simply him saying, uh, Jack makes me feel good. I, I like Jack makes me feel like a good person and I appreciate his counsel. I mean, I, I don't know. I may be way off. What do you guys think? Hmm. I would say I think he's – I think you're right. He, I don't think he has the th- thick enough skin to deal with all the criticism from everybody. But on the same token – how many times are you going to see him at like HGB and people are going to be able to come up to him and say, Hey, you, you're screwing up the team with his Easterby shift. I think he's part of the reason he, ha- he can do what he does is he's just so detached from everything. Like, cause even every time they cut to a game of it and they see him in the stands, look at him. He looks, looks so bored. So I think he's just detached from, he's detached from that. He's detached from, I don't think he actually goes out to like do anything. He has things like, I don't know, like he has stuff DoorDash to him, so he doesn't have to deal with anybody. <laughs> the only people I think he has a contact with are other rich people who love him because he's got money. So I, I mean, this, this is starting to border on political stuff and it's really not meant to. So I apologize in advance for that. Um, but I think a lot of it is just, he's got so much wealth that he doesn't have to deal with anybody. So, why would he why would he need a thick skin to deal with him? So so in other words, you're saying because he more or less operates in a bubble, he's he can right. have thin skin because he's not he's not ever gonna be confronted. And and that may well be true, but I mean, do you think the guy I mean the, the media fans like if he if he picks up his phone or he still reads a newspaper or whatever, I can't fathom that he's not doesn't have some awareness about how 
how brutally disliked he is because of the way he's run this organization. I get that, but I also think if he does see that, it's he can dismiss it as like it's different from seeing it on like seeing someone criticize you online versus being criticized in person. So sure. I mean, if you see something, if you see like an article, like the Yahoo article, for example, say, criticizing uh, McNair's handling of the team, it's like oh, you could look at it and just say if you're coming there. Oh, they just don't understand. They really don't know what's going on here, and just for and just completely ignore reality because you think you understand reality and you don't. If you're Cal McNair, but you don't have to. You it's a passive confrontation as opposed to an active one. I guess is the difference. Okay, so playing that out, assuming that's true, I mean, at some point he can't be blind to the results on the field. Right. So they went four and twelve this year with a generational talent at quarterback. I don't think there's anyone around that follows the team that thinks they're going to be better next year, uh, especially mm-hmm. assuming they trade Deshaun, and maybe even if they don't. So at some point, even if he's blind or or willfully ignorant to all the criticism, at some point, even he's got to be able to look around and go, "Man, we went four and twelve last year. We went two and fourteen this year." This isn't working. I have to make a change. Yeah, but I pointed out to you during the uh, Easter, well, not the Easter, but Casario press conference. He brought, he's made a specific point of bringing up the team was cl- this X close in uh, games of I f- like close to winning. I forget sure. how many games that um, was seven points or less. So two, I think it was two. What was it, Weston? Two and eight in one score games or something like that. Two and nine. Two and eight, but I always go off of eight points or less because I include the two point conversion. Very hipster, right? Very but hipster. Because well, I'm not a coward, and you guys no. go for two points. <laughs> you go for two every time. I understand exactly. I mean, I'm not trying to be like anybody's psychologist here because I'm not qualified. But you can you can easily rash if you're Calmer, you can easily rationalize that we're not that bad a team. We were we just got really unlucky in a lot of cases. The ball didn't bounce our way. If we if the ball bounced like even a little bit, we'd be eight and eight and I'd be fine. And we wouldn't be having this. We wouldn't be, um, they wouldn't be, the fans wouldn't be quite as upset. And see, you could just, you could rationalize anything. If you try hard enough. Sure. I mean, Weston, what do you think? I, I think one of the things that would be important for any sort of change to happen with Easterby is if fans are allowed to go to the games this year and there's just nobody there, you know, cause like, you can hide, I think, a lot of it with numbers or rationalizations with, you know, this if this didn't happen or that didn't happen, if this didn't work out, you know, we'll be better next year. But whenever you show up and there's just nobody there at all, it's like having a birthday party and nobody shows up. And you kind of realize, like, yeah. maybe there is something wrong with me, you know? Maybe <laughs> I, I don't have any friends because I'm selfish and, and rude and this and that. And so I think that's, like, the only thing that can really kind of change it all. But I really can't imagine a world where Easterby isn't here at the moment based on everything that's, that's come out. But then you brought up a great point, Tim, where it can't just be Cal, though. You know, there's more important people, like not necessarily more important people as the chairman of the Texans, but there's plenty of other people with, like, influence and has stake, like, at the Houston Texans, and, like, whether it's monetarily or, like, wanting them to win. And so you think, like, anybody, even with this family or something, like, close to the circle would be able to, you know, provide some more information to help them out. And maybe they also like Jack Easterby as well, too. Maybe Jack Easterby has like some sort of influence over them as well, and so I'm kind of wondering like how far like it stretches beyond, or if it's simply you know the, the archetype of the Lord of the Rings story, you know, or it's the Mad King sort of situation. Exactly what that is or isn't, I can't really say, but I think it's a I think it's something that nobody's really brought brought up before though. 
at well, all. Well, you know, we had that one that one little story during the season. Uh, somebody showed up to to NRG uh, to one of the games and had the fire Jack Easterby sign or whatever, and and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. the security tried to take it away or kick him out or whatever. It didn't happen. And then it came out later that Hannah McNair, Cal's wife, had I don't know if she knew the lady who had the sign or if it, or if she found her or whatever, but commented on I think her Instagram or something like that about how how you know inappropriate it was to do that and how this woman had no idea what the whole story was and and very much came to the defense of Easterby. So that you know maybe maybe he's managed to win over Cal Cal's wife as well. So it may be that Cal, to the extent he feels any uh, heat about it, talks it over with his wife, and his wife says these people just don't know what they talk about, what they're talking about, and it strengthens his resolve. And he said, you know, she sees it too, so to speak. In other words, I, you know, I believe in Jack, and so does she. That's good enough for me for now. So he may be getting reinforcement from her. We don't know if, if Janice McNair is, is a Jack Easterby fan. We don't know if there's other family members or, like you said, other investors that, that may have come under his spell, so to speak. So – it may not just be Cal. As much as we want to always lay it on him, he may be getting bad advice or or bad support from other sources. Yeah, I mean, and if you if we, I know we call Easterby Rasputin a lot, and or Leventer Berry, depending on who you are. I mean, but if you take the Rasputin, if you take the Rasputin story to its like like parallel, it wasn't the czar that Rasputin was influencing; it was his wife. Yeah. So it would make. You make a valid point. I think he could be like it could be like Hannah McNair that's that he's gotten his clutches into, and she's just making sure he, he's that Easterby sticks around. But no, no, but that's about it. I think <laughs> it would make that would make sense. And I really like it. Really, just the only thing that makes any sense is if it's some like grand like conspiracy, like True Detective season one. Like that's the only thing that like stretches you know, decades and decades because. Logically, like nothing here at all makes sense with Easterby and the way everything is kind of like coalesced together for uh, the Houston Texans business operation. And again, like I've said this before, like Rivers McCown being Matthew Matthew McConaughey in True Detective season one, find the truth is the only is the only hope I have in Jack Easterby going anywhere else than where he currently is right now. Well, I mean, the stuff that was published about him in those Sports Illustrated articles, I think, and I'm I'm ballparking here, and I, maybe I'm exaggerating. But I think the stuff that was reported about him in those articles at 90% of workplaces, you get fired for it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, at just at a regular workplace, and I understand working for a football team isn't the same as, as working it at you know UPS or a typical office job. But I mean, nine, most of the stuff that was in there, are, or not most of it, a lot of it in there is, is a fireable offense. And, you know, like with cause type stuff. And not only did did... Cal McNair not fire him. He, he basically recommitted to him. So, it, it, and I think we're kind of figuring this out, unfortunately, as we've kind of stumbled through the last year and a half watching all of this unfold. You can't look at the Texans as a rational business organization or a rational organism because so much of what they do operates outside the bounds of logic. Anywhere else, Jack Easterby would have been fired. And instead here, Cal specifically says, I'm not firing him, and then goes and essentially hires the one guy to be general manager that would not have insisted upon Easterby being fired. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's totally irrational, and expecting any kind of rationality at this point is a fault on us, not them. You're right. You're right. You're right. We try to look at this as though we're dealing with, with normal people, and we're not. 
And I've watched enough Adam Curse documentaries to just be like, all human beings are irrational. <laughs> There's nothing logical about them. And the only way to persuade them to do anything is to react to their emotions. And so I, I think the Texans are no different than the individual itself as well, too. That's um, deep. So it's, well, so that's kind of, and that's kind of the thing I've always, I say a lot of times, because there's actually been studies borne out about this. Like they'll, the saying, I hate the saying, uh, facts don't care about your feelings because it's actually backwards. Feelings don't care about your facts. Mm. Yeah. That's a better, that's a better way to put it. Fair. That's yeah. fair. Tim, are there any free agents you like for your Houston Texans to sign here in the no. next two weeks? No. <laughs> No, I mean there's good football players out there, but I think uh, Sean Pendergast had a had a had a tweet this morning or, or last night that that I 100% agree with. Every guy that the Texans sign, or not every guy, but the vast majority of anyone they sign in free agency needs to be here on one year short term prove it deals, both to fix the salary cap and to take advantage of the cap shrinking the way it has this year. There should be minimal committal of any big dollars to any free agents as they rip this down. You're going to rebuild with youth. There's no reason to have high dollar free agents uh, of consequence. I mean, uh, you know, Allen Robinson's going to make any football team better. There's other guys that will as well. But like, what's the point? I mean, do you, do you really do you want to go from um, you know two is going from two wins to four wins that big of a deal to you? It's not to me. I, I you know. I, at this point, if we're if we're blowing it up, let's let's blow it up. Let's burn the whole thing down. There's no reason to commit big dollars to 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 guys for the next couple of years as you're essentially redoing your entire organization. Yeah, I don't think there's that much of a difference between two wins and six wins at all either. You know, yeah. like really, like it doesn't even with the seven C created, it really doesn't matter that much to me at the end of the day as well from that portion of it. Uh, I do like a few players, even for like one year deals. Have you ever watched Cam Sims play football before? I'm sure I have, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. He's, yes, very, yeah. he's very tall. He's pretty fast. He plays for he played for Washington last year. He was an undrafted yeah. free agent from Alabama. Uh, he's pretty good. He can get some make some plays after the catch. And the Texans don't have like a tall wide receiver. He can do that. I also like Alan Butler from New England. I like Dewan Smoot from Jacksonville. Like Butler, got a, Butler got a little bit of uh, got a little bit of shine like last off season, right? No, I don't think he did. I think it was Shelby Harris in Denver. And then they I just feel like signed Butler him was mentioned as a potential target for the Texans a year or really? two ago. Yeah, I feel like I, I like read. Some- I like Butler a lot. I think he. I think he kind of blew up because he had a really good game against the Cardinals this year uh, when okay. the when the Patriots beat the Cardinals. But maybe he and he played with Zach Cunningham too uh, back in Vanderbilt as well. I like DeJuan oh, Smoot. Yeah, I like DeJuan Smoot also. I think Malik Hooker could be good in a Levy Smith defense. You know, where he doesn't have to do some. It's like it's hard to play football in Indy. With in the in the backfield with just so many different man match coverage responsibilities the way they change things up and if you just tell Malik Hooker you go from here to here and that's it he may be able to do that Malik Hooker is the exact sign exact kind of guy you should be signing you know on a one year prove it deal and because no one should be committing big money to Malik Hooker at this point of his career mm-hmm. so he should go to a one year a one year prove it deal where he has it where he's going to have a chance to play and produce and then angle for a contract the next year. That's exactly the kind of guy the Texans should be targeting. Yeah, I said like one year, $5 million or so. Like I prefer Keanu O'Neill, but Keanu O'Neill is going to get like a four-year, $45 million contract. Keanu O'Neill is a, a very, very good football player, and someone's <laughs> going to pay him. Uh, it should not be – I mean, uh, paying him right now with, with the defense being what it is, like, you know, I, would you rather pay Keanu O'Neill or would you rather extend Justin Reed? 
I guess extend Justin Reed. I think so yeah. too. Yeah. And and I say that as somebody who thought Justin Reed really disappointed last year. Um, but I'd still rather extend him than pay Keanu Neal. And I like Keanu Neal. I'm in no rush to extend Justin Reed either, though. You know, yeah, like if you do it, I would do it next year. You know, or wait how this year goes a little bit too. He doesn't. He does. It doesn't warrant it based off how he performed last year. No, no disagreement. But if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather extend Reed than pay Neal big dollars. Yeah, I agree. But I, I mean, and the Hooker had that interception, that one-handed pick against the Chargers in that first week with Indy in uh, Week One, 2019. And like that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the yeah. talent to be able to make a play like that. But yeah, you know, like playing safety in Indianapolis is hard to do, and Blackman was much better than Hooker ever was there. Uh, but it's it's hard. I think like Hooker was just like mentally just didn't have the didn't understand how to play football in Indy. I think like I love Hooker. defense could help him. I loved Hooker coming out of college at Ohio State. I thought he was going to be a really really good pro, and uh, he's battled some injury stuff too, hadn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, he was yeah. all last year also. Yeah, I mean there there's there's that that's a guy with the traits that you you take the risk on on a one year deal. Uh, and someone may be willing to give him a two-year deal with some guaranteed money to to make sure they get him. And and if so, okay, it just shouldn't be the Texans. There's mm-hmm. there's no reason for them to be spending big dollars on free agents uh, in the next in the next uh, off in, during this offseason. Not when not when we know what's coming. Yeah. Well, and we talked to Seth earlier too. I didn't get a chance to ask him this, but I'm really kind of curious, like how much cover two. Levy Smith actually plays this year, you know, because like it is the year of our Lord 2020. It's not 2006 anymore. And like Kansas City plays that inverted Tampa two, but they play it like 13 percent of the time or whatever as like a changeup. It's not the foundation of their defense. The Bucks played a good amount of tam- uh, cover two last year. I depend on their opponent, but again, like they played it maybe 20 percent of the time. It's not the foundation of the defense. And so, like I think hook, I think safety is more important that defense. I think it could hopefully lead to Lion Johnson Jr. playing cornerback again if they do it. But you know, like, I'm just speculating off this idea of like, what what is he even going to do? Like, is that even an idea? Are we just going to play this defense from 2004 over and over and over again every snap? I really yes. have no idea what it means. Yes. You think so? That, yes, that's what's coming. Absolutely. Uh, asking Lovey Smith to change his spots is is I, I think that's a fool's errand. Those teams you mentioned that play a little bit of Tampa too. You know, they also do it with explosive offenses. They're not asking their defenses to win games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're asking them basically just to stymie a couple scoring drives and and give the offense a chance to win the game. And even then, neither of those teams are, as you said, doing it as, as a significant part of their scheme. I think the Texans are going to roll out a 2006-style Chicago Bears defense with horrific personnel next year. And if we thought the defensive performance this year was bad, just you wait. Unbelievable. We're so broken. Even even Seth was like, you know, the only thing about Levy I can see happening is if they come in, they just run the coverage two weeks right away in training camp and like get down the basics of it, and execute it as well as you can. And uh, that's how that's how far the bottom has dropped. Like it's, <sighs> it's going to keep getting worse and worse. And uh, I'm very excited for it. But uh, yeah, I think one good thing I can say about Tampa too is that cornerback's not that important. And so they don't have to worry about Vernon Hargreaves this year. Or no, 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 no. They don't have to worry about Vernon Hargraves any year. If they yeah. bring him back, so help me God, it should not happen. I can't watch that again. I understand we're going to watch some horrific football for the next one to three years. I cannot have any more Vernon Hargraves in my life. That's the one <laughs> thing I ask. They're going to trade Deshaun Watson. It's going to break me emotionally. But if they turn, if they re-sign Vernon Hargraves the third, I will snap like a twig. I cannot see it again. <laughs> Honestly, I'm almost jokerified at this point of a 
about watching the defense because next year it's going to be garbage. And I think if it's going to be like watching a train wreck in the sense that it's going to be awful. You can't take your eyes off it. But at the same token, I'm probably going to end up laughing my ass off because like this is how far we've gotten and it's almost funny. It's like that's how bad it is. It's become funny. They have fallen so egregiously far in such a short amount of time. And, and we're all, you know, we're all victims of recency bias. But I mean, can you think of another team that has gone from I, I think content uh, pl- legitimate playoff contender? I don't I don't know that I, that we were ever at a point in this in this in the last few years where I'd say we were a Super Bowl contender, but I mean a legitimate top eight team, I would say. Top eight to top ten team to truly I think unequivocally, there's no there's no reasonable dispute that can be made that they're the worst team in the NFL right now. Worst run organization, probably the least amount of talent. Certainly after you trade Deshaun, I mean, is there another is there another example in sports you can think of that has happened this quickly? The Without ball, injuries, in sports, yeah, but not not in football though, because the Florida Marlins after they won the World Series basically completely crashed the team into the ground. They they steered the boat into the rocks for financial reasons, but they won a World Series before they did it. I, we didn't yeah. even do that. I mean, we're talking about we we're not even talking about a conference championship game. I, I think the yeah. difference though between Houston is like they think they're doing the right things to win games, whereas like new, whereas like the Marlins are like, well, we won a World Series, we don't want to pay for these players, uh, and like a lot of other times it's just like injuries, you know. Like if you think back, maybe like the '95 match with Shaq, like Shaq went to Los Angeles and hardly got hurt, but like those are a different set of circumstances. There's, yeah, there's there's of, that injury luck, but this is this is this is willful management. This is guys deciding this is the way we want to do things. We want to pay Whitney Merciless. We want to trade all this draft capital for Laramie Tunsil. We want to sign Eric. We want to sign Eric Murray. We want to trade Deshaun, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. We want to pay Randall Cobb. I mean, these are all these are these are all head scratching decisions when they were made. And now, in retrospect, I mean, it's just mind boggling to look at them collectively and realize how far they've fallen. Uh, so, you had, uh, have you looked at the Texans over the cap, like? Seller cap table at all recently, Tim? I I did listen to the the episode on Thursday night uh, or the Wednesday or Thursday about your top eleven. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about it. They're <laughs> they're four highest paid players: Larry Tunsil nineteen point four million, Deshaun Watson fifteen point four million, Brandon Cooks twelve million, Winnie Merciless twelve million. The fourth, the tie for the third highest paid player on this team. So three out of those four guys probably start for any team in the league. Laramie Tunsil is a what? Would you say he's a top five tackle? Yeah, pass protection wise. Sure. And generally speaking, probably a top five tackle overall. I understand he's a better pass protector than he is run blocker, but still probably a top five tackle overall. Mm -hmm. Um, Deshaun Watson, top five quarterback. Brandon Cooks, you know, starts at receiver for any team in the league. If he's your number one, you're probably not that strong, but still he's, he's a good player. I think you can say Whitney Merciless is the one out of those four that, that, has no business being paid at the rate he's being paid. When they gave him the extension, it made no sense. We knew it would sting. We didn't expect it to sting quite this bad because we didn't expect the rest of the team to stink as quickly as as, as they have. Um, so those, you know, the 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 top the top four guys. Merciless is the only one that you can say should not be making what he is making. Yeah, I just don't think Cooks like even at twelve. I think Cooks at twelve million dollars is kind of egregious too. And it go in line with the DeAndre Hopkins trade where you can't pay a wide receiver too much money. And, uh, you know, Cooks is one of the four highest paid players on this team as is constructed after they talked about all the financial reasons why they had to trade for Hopkins as well, too. 
Which well, is, you, you know, completely ridiculous. You, you know, though, that, like, they didn't trade Hopkins saying, all right, part B of this plan is to acquire Brandon Cooks. It was they traded Hopkins, got absolutely crucified, and said, ah, we better go ahead and bring in somebody else. And then they traded for Cooks. Maybe, but Eastry was, like, thirst tweeting uh, Brandon Cooks way ahead of that, though. I and, understand. Like, and like, they would have been better off just selecting a wide receiver at the second round pick. Than yes. Too. Yes. Yes. But they, well, they would have been even better off by not trading DeAndre Hopkins. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. But that's what, that's what precipitated the Cooks trade. They're not trading for Brandon Cooks if they don't trade DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, of course. I kind of feel like it was part of their plan, though. It's like, we'll trade Hopkins, then we'll trade for Cooks. And then, uh, and then we'll we'll figure all the plans act together after that. That's kind of those things like, yeah, once you bake the uh, once you bake the muffin, you can't pull the flour out of it and the sugar and the egg. You know, it's in there and it's there. You got a muffin, you can't do anything about it. These man, you're, with the cooking analogies, talking about you know all these all these documentaries you're watching, you're bringing you're bringing a different level today. This is uh, what happens when you work from home for a year. You know, no, I'm I'm very this impressed. Oh, it's a beautiful day out. firing on all cylinders. I'm impressed. It's an enrichment of one's education. For, no, uh, I, I'm very impressed. You're educating all of us. Outstanding job. So this uh, is the life I have to look forward to now that I'm working from home permanently myself. There you go. <laughs> you, and, you and Weston will be talking about, you know, uh, obscure art house cinema that you've watched. That'll be, that'll be an episode a year from now. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the movie Sallow? <laughs> Right. I don't know. That's a bad first <laughs> question. I think I watch I watch one movie every two weeks. I'm like, that was fine. I, that was good. That's all. I, that's all I'm good for. You know. Uh, the, I think the other funny thing, also Tim, like you know, we, you kind of mentioned where they were 18 months ago, but also the fact of where they were 18 months ago, and even after the loss to the Colts, their answer to their problems was the culture was the issue with the team, not the talent, not the play calling, not the decision making not their entire strategy to win football games whatsoever, but it was the fact that Bill O'Brien cursed too much or uh, they didn't practice hard enough or they didn't practice enough. That's what was holding the team back. It wasn't the fact of all the other things that are tangibly related to the game of football that were actually affecting them. I'm getting a migraine. It, it is really amazing that the Texans have been ripped to shreds in the name of culture. Coming and they've been ripped to shreds in the name of culture after allegedly following the blueprint of an organization that essentially said winning is the one thing that matters. The Patriot way was we're gonna we're gonna work the margins. Winning is the ultimate goal. The Texans seem like they've decided that culture is more important than winning, and it's that I, I don't think that's a Patriots thing. I, th- I I don't think that's something that you can say that this is that this is a. Um, I don't think that you can say that this is a that this is a copy of the Patriots because the Patriots were, were dedicated to winning, um, and instead the Texans have decided that they're going to make winning secondary to a culture war. And they, in their mind, they're winning the war, even though on the field they're getting worse and worse every passing day. Yeah, and the terrified. Yeah, and the culture kind of came down to finding the best quarterback of all time. In the sixth round, kind of by accident. You yeah, know? that was yeah. that was what the culture was. Uh, so Tim, who, are you who, who kept taking less to stay? Who never exactly. said I want to get paid at the top of the market? I never want to get paid thirty four million dollars. So y'all keep marketing my TB twelve for free, so we can yep. get by like that as well too. 
Uh, I think I think Steph and her she was talking about earlier today how the Texans are aren't just there to win games but win games the right way. You know, like a YMCA sort of sort of style of uh, winning football games. So Tim, are you? I I don't know if you answer this or not, but are you a season ticket holder? And have you got like any paperwork like Steph did? And or if you are, are you plan to redo your tickets and everything? I am a season ticket holder. Um, I have received the paperwork. Everything Steph said is right, especially about the PSL. You know, when you buy, depending on depending on the different where you where you get seats in the stadium, you may or may not have been forced to buy a PSL, which is a transferable property right. Um, it's it's a fictional property right. It's one it's one that teams create out of whole cloth. But the idea is by 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 buying that PSL, you obligate yourself to buy the tickets. And that if you don't buy the tickets, well, then the PSL goes back to the team. And this property right you had that that does have some value um, when the team is good uh, basically disappears. So everything she said is right on board. And it does stink because you, you, there's a big part of you that's, that's tremendously frustrated and, and doesn't want to pay, doesn't want to pay for, for poor performance. I mean, I've, I made this comparison years ago, like – the money that we dump into these sports organizations as fans, whether it's tickets, merchandise, attention, um, um, emotional energy, whatever. The only thing that it's comparable to is like, if you had a, a loved one that was going through some type of, of, of addiction or trauma and you kept going there and trying to help them and doing and putting all this energy in towards aiding them, knowing that it was almost sure that there were going to be more bad times than good. And yet you still sign up every year. You still do what you can to help. Uh, it, not that we're helping the Texans, but you really are sort of spending for the experience as opposed to results. There's very other few. There's very few things in life that when you get crapped on year after year that you would keep paying for. And yet sports are, are one of them, really. Uh, one of the few things. So everything she said is right on. I mean, you, you, I, I'll renew. <laughs> um if, the, if I can't go to the games or I don't want to go to the games, I'll make sure that the tickets go to someone who will enjoy the experience um, because the money is spent. I'd rather someone have the experience of going to the game, even if knowing, even if, even if I'm not going to go and I, and this, and that's not me taking any, any high road because I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I won't go. I'll still go. Even when the Texans were horrendous, you know, in past years, I went cause I enjoy going and watching football and spending some time doing that. It's just I won't have any hope of things being better for at least three years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good, and it's completely ridiculous. Do you think, like with the vaccinations and everything, the rates in the next two months or so, and the number of vaccinations that they're going to be able to produce? Do you think there'll be fans inside the? You like? Do you are you planning to be able to go see the Houston Texans play football this year in in the stadium itself? Yeah, I, I do. I, I don't. I would be stunned because last year they ended up having fifteen thousand, I think, twelve to fifteen thousand in NRG like um, that, yeah. after after like early October, maybe. I think they had they had twelve to fifteen thousand in NRG. I don't know that I'm as bullish as saying that in Harris County we'll have full football stadiums come September, but I would be really surprised if it wasn't at least fifty to seventy five percent occupancy. And I think there's going to be other places in Texas that that could well be a hundred percent. I think. Dallas, if I remember correctly, last year by the end of the season had thirty or forty thousand people in the stadiums. So I think NRG will will certainly have far more than they had this year. And if it was capacity, if it was full capacity, I wouldn't be stunned. Um, 
I, I think it's more likely to be 50 to 75% when the season starts. But if you told me it was going to be 100, I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand. The question will be, I know Steph said basically she didn't know how comfortable she would be with going. And I think that'll be a, I think there'll be people that are uncomfortable going, but I think there's gonna be a whole lot more people that are comfortable going. There's going to be people that have the opportunity to go that maybe haven't been before because the people that have the tickets say, I don't want to go either because I don't want to watch this train wreck or uh, you know, I, I don't feel safe going, but my friend does. So I'll give them the tickets and those people will get to go. I think the seats will be filled um, regardless. Yeah. I, I, the one team that the one football team that really kind of freaked me out last year about the, not necessarily freaked me out that really surprised me by the number of fans in the stadium was uh, my stepdad went to Texas A&M and I was yeah. over at my folks house and like he had the game. I walked by the TV. I'm like, it's a madhouse over there. The whole thing is filled there's 9,000 people in there. They do not care at all in College Station, which SEC, you know, SEC, SEC, in a in a bizarre way was I don't know. It was very it was very kind of funny to see to see though in a weird way. Uh, but yeah, I can I can see what you're saying though. I don't want to go to a Texans game this year. I just want to go in the parking lot, eat some beans, and drink some <laughs> beers, and you know take an Uber, you know go walk back to the hotel room afterwards and just hang out in the parking lot. Well, you you let me know which game you want to come to. We'll make it happen. Um, it, it will be uh, it will be an experience. The tailgating is always great, even when the product inside is garbage. And the product inside this year is going to be garbage. Ooh. Yeah. All right, we'll have to send you an email. Hopefully, I can make it happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll pick we'll pick a weekend. Come on down, and uh, we'll 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 go we'll go watch uh, we'll go watch the sausage being made by by Chef Cully. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this leads to at least me to the next topic that I really want to talk about. Uh, so Tim and Pat, I'm going to name a player and uh, imagine this player in a David Coley offense. So do you think he'll improve in it? Do you think this is the breakout year coming for him? So uh, Pat, imagine Randall Cobb in a David Coley offense. What are, you, what are your expectations? Honestly, I'm my brain's hitting a brick wall because I don't know what a David Coley offense would look like. Um well, it's, the, it's a combination of the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Ravens because he knows what's working. He he was there, and it works. Yeah, he was there, but how much did he have a hand in it, though? It, I doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter at all because he was there, and it works, and he knows what works. Sure. Okay. That being said, um, probably not very optimistic just because um, Randall Cobb is – kind of getting a little long in the tooth. I mean, he was long in the tooth when we signed it, but now he's extra long in the tooth and coming off of an injury. I'm not exactly uh, what you'd call bullish on the idea of him playing in the vaunted David Culley offense. So, Tim, how about uh, Kiki Cutie in a David Culley offense? Are you excited for that? Is this his breakout I, year? I can't wait. Um, he's. I mean, Bill O'Brien's not around anymore, so presumably he'll get more opportunities or at least – get himself into David Cully's doghouse. David Cully doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who has a doghouse. I think all the dogs roam free. On they all David sleep in the bed with him. They all yeah. lick his toes and sleep in the bed with him. That's exactly right. And he'll wake up and give him kisses every day. <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's, I, I don't think that there, there is a David Cully uh, doghouse. So uh, cutie and uh, Cobb, I think are probably going to have relatively similar seasons. I mean, if I told you that both of them finished with between 500 and 600 yards and, between the two of them had, I don't know, seven touchdowns. Any surprise there? No, it sounds good. Nah. I like yeah. the way that sounds. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that's, that'd be my guess. I'd peg each of them for assuming they're both healthy, somewhere between five and 600 yards and say three to four touchdowns apiece. All, all on quick slants. Um, 
and drag, from drag routes. Yep. Little, you know, nothing, nothing big down the field. Just again, the most important thing about football is the football. So <laughs> don't, you know, protect that football. And if we need to go three and out, we'll go three and out. It's fine. Well, they, have, they also do it in a culturally appropriate way after all, because if they do it in a culturally inappropriate way, they're going to run into trouble with head office. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. All right, so Tim, imagine Kahali Waring in a David Coley offense. I think Kahali Waring is not going to have the opportunity to be in a David Coley offense. I think Kahali Waring is getting cut in training camp. All right, how do you think like the first round of cuts, like the or, like the right the last? Do so you think he makes it through training camp? I think he's probably the last round of cuts because right because there's no longer um, there's no longer the two rounds of cuts right there's just the one and then there's just the one at the end but you can yeah, cut guys yeah. whenever you want that's right they may cut guys they may you know maybe they cut him early to give him a chance to catch on elsewhere but man I mean why would uh, what have we seen from Kahali Waring to make us think that a, t- a a regime that had nothing to do with drafting him would want him on the team. Uh, this year. Well, have you seen his biceps? <laughs> not, I mean, you know Chad Hansen, of course. Yeah, but. not not like you have. I can't <laughs> I can't recite his I can't recite his his measurements, but um he was a legacy, he was a Bill O'Brien legacy pick. That's probably a reason that he lasted as long as he did. Um maybe the Texans decide they want to keep him because he's cheap labor, but I think it's far more likely he's he's either playing someone or somewhere else next year or just out of the league. I'll always hold that hope for Kali Waring. And, I know. Uh, I, I, know. I, I They should cut Darren Fells, though. That's what they should do. They should I cut Darren Fells. I know. Not, you're, you're, and they're not you're going always, to. You're always going to champion Waring. I get it. Uh, I wish that he gave you – I wish that he allowed you the dignity of at least, like, doing something on the field to warrant your faith. He did it last year when he had that first down and got really excited about it. That was all I needed to see. That was worth the price of admission. That, that was, was worth the third round draft pick. Yes, that was the my favorite part of last season was that first round catch he had his and him and Chad Hansen celebrating together. Uh, look, Chad Hansen, Chad Hansen, Chad Hansen probably has a role on this team. The Chad Hansen, yes, he does. Because no, I what, remember he got something that Waring didn't get a touchdown. All right, well, yeah. in one in one point font, all uh, lowercase Chad Hansen. <laughs> no, he's he's I, why wouldn't he have a role on this team? He produced a little bit. He had a couple hundred yard games, didn't he? Yeah, he was, kind of, he was kind of a pleasant surprise. So, Pat, imagine Chad Hansen in David Coley's offense. Oh, all time, like all pro level season, <laughs> like two thousand yards receiving, seventy two touchdowns. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, on serious note, though, yeah, I'm <laughs> doing fairly okay, I guess. I mean, I would like to see him. Pro- progress because i mean i don't know anything about him but but yeah i mean yeah he could do okay <laughs> i also well, think it's really funny that randall cobb and uh brand cooks combined this year 22 million dollars in salary because you can't oh. pay wide receivers enough that important oh god uh, weston i, I think we I, I know i asked some of the guys this last night i think patrick was on there when we did um who do you think is the Texans' starting quarterback come week one? Come week one? Oh, yeah. Who I think or who I hope? Well, I know who you hope is going to be probably Kahali Waring, but who you think 
who you think will be their te- their starting quarterback week one. A I guy that's least, actually under center. I would guess AJ McCarron. So you think they re-sign him and start him? I think so. If they trade Watson, I think so. And you do think they will trade Watson before week one? I don't think they're going to. Tra- well, I think they're going to trade him because of David Coley hiring. Uh, I think it signifies it. But yeah, I think they trade him. I would guess because it's the Texans that they'll trade him after the draft sometime in the summer whenever he doesn't show up in training camp and completely botch the entire situation. But yeah, I think that I think like you mentioned, the David Coley hiring kind of signifies the Watson trade. Well, I, I think for sure. Um, you don't hire David Culley because you're expecting to compete for division titles um, next year. You no, no, you don't. You, you hire him to go to Olive Garden after the game and get free breadsticks and, and make memories that last forever. That's why you, you hire, hire Culley. You hire him, no. you hire him to distribute the trophies guy. at the end of the year for everyone playing really hard and being a lot of fun to coach. Um, so, all right, so you think A.J. McCarron. All right, and Patrick, Patrick who would you say last night? Well, I joked. I was saying Casey, Case Keenum. Case Keenum, but, that's uh, right. But I could totally see AJ McCarron. I would have said uh, the one of the Clint McCown playing there, but since he got cut recently, that's obviously right. not going to be him. Right, right, right. I, I but, said Tua. I said Tua because that I, I think they're going to trade Deshaun to the to the Dolphins. Interesting. Before the first, Which I could totally see. That's my guess for what it's worth. Hmm. Uh, so Tim, imagine Buddy Hal in a David Coley offense. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you uh, saying like is he going to be productive? No, he's not going to be productive. Uh, Buddy Hal, um, bring back Sierra Wood. Um, you know any of those dudes? Maybe maybe Sam can Godot. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. It's going to be Vernon Morency. It's it's running the football next year is not going to be fun or productive. Maybe we could dig up Amon Green and see what he's doing. Right. What was the what was the name of that running back who was really fast? He's like five foot nine from Purdue that had like one touchdown where he dove for the pylon and everybody wanted him to play instead of Alfred Blue and they kept giving him the, they kept giving Alfred Blue the ball instead. From Purdue? I think so. I think it was an like undrafted guy. He was like really fast. He was like five nine, like one eighty or something like that. Oh, Akeem Hunt. There it is. Houston, uh, yeah. Houston football at this. Akeem Hunt's the guy. Okay. Maybe get Akeem Hunt back out here next year. That's fine. Who sure. I mean, bring them all. Sure. You, might well make it, you might as well make it a nostalgia tour. It is clear that winning <laughs> football games next year is not the primary goal. All right. How about Farrell Brown in a David Coley offense? How do you like that? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, sure. there's, none, there's none of these guys are going to get me excited. I'm I'm I've come to grips with the fact that next year is not going to be fun football to watch. So it might as well be cheap football to watch. Don't commit a bunch of salary cap dollars. Load up on as many assets as you can get. Bring in as much young talent as you can get and try to build this thing to where when you hire the next head coach, that guy has a chance to come in and compete. And you get to roll over salary cap space too for 2022. And hopefully there's a cap spike that year also. You would think there, if not in 22, then certainly in 23. And and at that point, if they've got if they've managed things the way that we all hope they will, they'll have ample salary cap room and be able to go make and be able to go make some some impact signings through that route. The biggest thing is going to be drafting well, and the only way to do that is to get as many shots at it as possible, which is what the Deshaun the inevitable Deshaun trade is going to get you is a bunch of a, a bunch of ones, maybe some twos, 
And then it's going to be a question of whether whether Casario can can find the right guys. Yeah, a scorched earth. Uh, Pat, is there a scorched earth quarterback that you want? So, like, let's say they trade Watson, they don't they don't they they don't get you know two or like a starting caliber quarterback, and they bench their rookie quarterback for a year that they possibly drafted like number two, number three overall. Is there a scorched earth quarterback that you love for the Texans to to sign for the two thousand twenty one NFL season? Just like a complete garbage player. Yeah, that he's oh. just here to go like two and fourteen on. Oh God, hmm. Oh, there's so many options. Um. Oh God, I can't think of. Um. Ooh, Matt McGloin. Let's bring him in. <laughs> once you once Bill O'Brien was asked to leave the building, Matt McGloin no longer became an option. I'm sad they never brought. Did okay, they ever bring fine. him Connor in? Cook, then. They did not. They did, McGloin, okay. I don't think McGloin ever had. I don't think he ever had a cup of coffee with the Texans. No, I, I always kind of thought like he was here maybe for like a summer or something. Got cut, but uh, that makes too much sense at all. Yeah, he did. He did provide us that. Wasn't he the one that started for the? No, it was Connor Wood, right? Uh, yeah, Connor Cook started for that Connor playoff Cook. game, but Matt McGloin beat the Texans in that 2013 season. Ugh. Because Matt Schaub and, overthrew Andre Johnson in the back of the end zone to, I think, tie the game or win the game. I can't remember exactly. Good God. <laughs> Good oh, God. I just, I mean, we just watched. So, you know, again, we waited our entire lifetimes as Texans fans for an honest-to-God franchise quarterback. We finally got him. We re-signed him. And now he's going to be gone. I mean, it's just, ah. I, I try not to think about it too much. It just makes me I, I vacillate between sad and angry. So you're you know, sa- you're sangy then, like I'm, how they say, I'm angry. Sangry. You're sangy. I'm sangry. I'm sangry. I mean, it's just it, it's just there's 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 just no justifying, and they're all self inflicted stupid wounds that were totally avoidable, and yet here we sit. He's he's going to be playing for somebody else, and the Texans are going to be that much worse for it. That, you know they'll they'll win again at some point. It's all cyclical. They'll win again, but it's going to be I think at least two to three years of our lives where they're not competing uh, and and really have no hope of being good. And we're just going to have to wait. And the sad part is we're going to wait and hope that we find a guy as good as Deshaun Watson is because we're going to get rid of Deshaun Watson because management's so stupid. And, that, and that'll probably never happen either. Yeah, and that'll probably never happen either. So you're just like in a spot where you try to like get good quarterback play and have like a, a full roster. You maybe get one or two shots out and then you rebuild again. You know, that's that's cheery. You really, you really, we're riding the roller coaster with you today between the between the the, the emotional checks and and then the the art house cinema rec, you know recommendations and the analogies. It's just it's it's up and down, up and down, up and down. You just yeah. you bring you bring the best out of me. That's, yeah, that's, speaking, that's, of, speaking of which, uh, such cheering things as roller coasters. Did you know that someone designed a roller coaster that would actually kill you? That was designed to kill not. you. Yeah, I did not. Well, yeah, apparently, I mean, totally unrelated to this, or somewhat related to this. There's um this some guy. I don't think he ever. They obviously never built it, but like they designed it in such a way that uh, it would go so far up at so steep an angle that by the time you finished riding the roller coaster it would like actually it would literally kill you it's like youth like euthanizing you or something <laughs> like you'd lo- like it, it would you, you wouldn't be able to get enough oxygen 
I think either not enough oxygen or the G or the uh, gravities of or the G's of coming down from the uh, from the initial thing would actually like kill you somehow. I'm not. I can't remember exactly how. Good. You got. Oh, you got yeah. Here's a here's a little extra cheery note for y'all. You gotta change the the Twitter thing, Tim, into riding the euthanasia roller coaster. And then I'm, gonna send a, I'm gonna send a tweet right now about how um, uprooted Texan is telling you and I about roller coasters <laughs> that can kill you, and how I've never felt more like a Texans. I've never felt more alive as a Texans fan. I love it. So, so all right, so the, the Texans do trade for Tua. I have one free agent. I think they should go in on, and that'd be Hunter Henry. Because like Tua can throw the seam pretty well, and Henry can do can do that. He can run corner routes and post routes well. And like Henry kind of has like Travis Kelsey sort of ability to sit in zone coverages and like find holes in the zone and create easy completions for first downs. And the Texans don't have that at all. And so like if you're trying to see what Tua is or take a shot on Tua at all whatsoever, I think that would be like a good easy receiver. And I, I think the Texans should just like devote their salary cap space to that. And then cut their tight ends and try to uh, roll with Hunter Henry possibility. Possibly if they were to actually trade for two, I think there's the one big free agent I'd be in for would be Hunter Henry. No, not at all. No, not, I'm not in on any big free agents, man. None. I don't want any of them. <laughs> let's 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 just no point in spending no no point in spending the money on it. That's the only one I got. Uh, <laughs> that's the only one I got. Well, and also I've been I've been annoyed this week because I've been trying to ride something about like free agent, like free agents, just I like in general. And uh, NFL Game Pass has been awful. Like it plays the play and then it freezes and then you have to restart again and then won't play anything else again. And it's been terrible, you know. It's been a hard. That's it's been a hard life. That look, man. Between that and the two underscores and your Twitter name, it's it's you're battling. <laughs> I can't think of anything better. So that's why the two underscores stay. <laughs> that's funny too. I heard Chris talking about it, and I, I had never really noticed it before. But sure enough, man, it's two underscores. So ever, no one's ever going to get your Twitter account right. Yeah, it's fine with me. I did some like radio show for like Palm Springs, and then he announced my tour. like, there, there's two, tu- there's two underscores. There's two, there's two of them. There's two of them on the way out of it. <laughs> Well, as long as you're, as long as all of this is leading to you getting some online clout, at least something good will come of it. I just, I do it because I love it, not for uh, the attention of it. You know, <laughs> it's like you dig the hole. There's this, uh, this spot in the Mojave Desert. It's called, uh, it's this giant tunnel. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. Oh, it's Burrow Schmidt's Tunnel, is what it is. And this guy was trying to build a tunnel so he can take his like mining deposits from one side of the mountain to the other. And then he went bankrupt trying to build this tunnel. And rather than stop, he just continued to, to uh, dig this tunnel over and over again. There's it served no purpose at all, but just to build this tunnel. It took him like 45 years to build it. He ended up dying like the, as soon as he finished building it, like the age of 82, with this whole back hunched over. And it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And uh, that's exactly what, what writing about football into the podcast is. It's just a big tunnel to, to tunnel through until I eventually die. <laughs> Hey, that's God bless America. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. This, this is Texans fandom is your tunnel. Yeah, it's, it is exactly. It is, and it will kill you. Speaking of well, which, I sent that. I sent the link to that uh, roller coaster in the in the private chat, just so y'all can see all what right. I'm talking about. 
All right. For you know, fun and adventure. I, I might I might go ride it. <laughs> Euthanasia coaster, dynamite. Dynamite wonder- sounds it sounds appealing. <laughs> I mean to, to to I mean you know go risk it on a ride like that or watch the Texans for the next two years. I, I don't know. It's a close mm, I'm call. weighing my options here. Yeah, it's a close call. I mean, I, I really think I truly think that we are about to witness the worst football in Texans history. Oh, easily. But the worst part is, I mean, they played some garbage early on, but they yeah. have an excuse of being in a, an expansion of they can right. claim they're an expansion team. We're 20 years in now. Yep. They are out of excuses, except, you know, this is what we want. Yep. No, that's it's I mean, at least with the expansion years, it was, you know, we're building from scratch. There's going to be some bumps and we're still acquiring talent. I mean, this is going to be you guys remember like the the like, you know, 06, 07, 08, uh, 09, where the offense was was at least mediocre to good and the defense was horrendous. There was always at least one Mm -hmm. side of the ball. And now it's just I think both sides of the ball are just going to be so devoid of talent for the next year or two that, that we are going to embark. I mean, we will be talking about this the way that we talk about, you know, some of these horrific players from, you know, Philip Buchanan, uh, PD Fagans, Von Hutchins, those guys, but there's going to be a whole defense of those dudes. I mean, it's going to be horrendous football to watch for the next two years. Uh, so whenever Chris is talking about this, so whenever the Texans come out on defense, he's the last player to leave the tunnel on the 2021 Houston Texans. Oh. He's waving the flag. He's coming out waving the flag around. No one's waving the flag. That was that was JJ's deal. Um, no one's <laughs> yeah. waving the flag. Um, are we assuming Bradley Roby is still here? I would think so. Yeah, I'd say probably he's sticking around. So then it's I'm going to say it's Zach Cunningham. It has to be. One out. Roby's probably... Second to last out. The more the funnier things. Who's the first one out? Because the first one should be somebody that that's sort of. A, I'll bet you Whitney Merciless is the leader. You think so? I do. I bet you he's the first dude out. There's some name recognition there. Um, you know, it, it's going to be. It's oh god! I just the next two years. <laughs> it's going to be rough. Oh. I mean, and, and I guess, I guess, if I'm trying to find it, I try to be optimistic. I try to be try to find things to get excited about. I guess if we can, if we want to get excited about something, it's that this time next year they will have a very high draft pick, if not the top draft pick. Yeah, that's exciting. And, and yeah, maybe, maybe, depending, maybe depending on on who they trade Deshaun to, maybe next year they've got three first round draft picks. Yeah, that's a good you point. Know? I think rooting against the Texans will be fun next year, and then I don't even think I don't even think you're going to need to root against them. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't even think they're going to need that energy. I think (laughs) I think you just you just sit back and let it happen. I don't think that you know the better question is going to be once we see what what form the team actually takes. I think we should probably have some fun with you know how many points do we think they're going to average on offense? How many do we think the defense is going to give up? I think this has all the makings of a team that may well have a 10 to 14 point average scoring differential. Yeah, I think so. Which yeah. is gigantic in the NFL. Huge. And I, I think we could actually have that. I think we could have a team next year that, that truly, on average, loses week to week by two touchdowns. I can't think of like a 
I can't think of a team that they can beat next year. You know what I mean? Because they're going to play the AFC South. On the schedule, do They're going to play the NFC West in the DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins, J.J. Watt homecoming game. Right. Uh, they're going to – they're even – like all, all four of those teams are better. They're going to play the third-place schedule. So that means they get to play, I guess, the Chargers – because the Raiders finished, it was the Raiders and the Chiefs. I guess they get to play the Chargers, and then they get to play the Raiders. What was the other team in the AFC? The Broncos. Yeah, the Broncos finished last in that division. Yeah, and then um, the Ravens finished behind the ahead of the Browns this year. So I guess they get to play. I think you play the, the Browns, the Chargers, mm-hmm. and the then Steelers maybe. No, they don't play the Steelers unless they, they don't play the entire of the NFC North this year because they played them last year. Oh, all that right, right, right. Um, I think I think they'll probably luck into maybe one or two wins. It's really hard to go winless, really, really hard. Um, the better, the, and that would be another fun thought exercise is when the schedule comes out, pick the win. Because I don't think there'd be more than two, um, you know. And 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 then it becomes a question of who 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 do they beat? If they if they went zero and sixteen, that would be such a fitting result for this organization after the way they've handled themselves. Um, I, I miss what to cheer for next year, though, is the root for 0 and 16. Yeah. The quest I, to go unwinfeated. I think it's I think it's gonna be in play. I really do. I think they're more likely to win a game, maybe even two, but I, I think there's a, a legit shot at 0 and 16, depending on who they trot out there. I mean, it, it's 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 gonna be amazing. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. I mean, I I I, <laughs> I guess here's another question for you. You know, what jerseys are they going to sell next year? Like, what what jerseys are Texans fans going to be wearing next year? Well, I know one that's going to be wearing a Kahali wearing jersey. Yeah, well, he's going to have to have that custom made. Yeah. Well, what, no, what I'm going to do is, it's, well, I guess it's March, probably this week, I'm going to get a Kahali wearing shirt and cut the sleeves off of it. And that's going to be wearing all summer. It's fair. You may be able to actually Venmo Kahali, and he may send you a shirt. <laughs> You think so? I don't think it's off the table. Well, he's not going to be making much money next year. I mean, well, then then do it now. Do it now while he's still gainfully employed and thinks he can make the team. I just want to do. I'm going to send Kahali Waring an Instagram message from my girlfriend's Instagram account, and then try <laughs> catfish him into giving me a Kahali Waring jersey. It's, uh, boy, you're 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 always thinking. Couple steps ahead. <laughs> Couple steps ahead. That's great. That's All great. Right. Maybe, I, I, maybe I can catfish Kahali in a game tacos in Houston or something. I'll show up instead. I think that's, I think that's great. And you can stream the whole thing on Twitch. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. That'd be for me alone. Not for anybody <laughs> Some things are just for me, and that's one of them. Hey, if it's, if it's content, it goes on Twitch or on the blog. <laughs> that's hot I'll content look. right there. Uh, smooth, smooth grandma just put up a link in the chat about a, uh, a, a Kahali Waring jersey you can buy in the Houston Texans store. Oh, well, look at this. We can see it Do here. Do it now while supplies last. Yep. I mean, I think – do it. Although, do now it. I'm t- I keep thinking about, like, Tim, when you said uh, pick the win – I think we should do that for this season. And like, whoever wins gets like a can of kettle corn or something. I'm I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to do it. And I think the thing though is, you know, that actually, you know, what we would probably have to do is look at the schedule and say, pick their first win. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. way to do it. Yeah, pick their first win. When do you think it'll happen? You know, who who will it be? 
And yeah, we can have we can have some fun with it because I, the sad part is I don't think there's going to be that many legitimate options that you can that you can look at and say I think they'll 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 win that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 going to be real bleak. It's going to be real real bleak. Weston, you have anything cheerier that we can talk about? Uh, cheerier. Houston Texans related. Yeah, let, let's do this. Let's assume. Let's assume that the Texans trade with the Jets, and they have the second overall pick, and that they decide they're taking a quarterback. Uh, presumably, Trevor Lawrence is off the board, but you have your pick of any other quarterback with that second pick. Who are you taking? I, don't, I haven't watched these guys, but I really want to watch Zach Wilson. I think I yeah. would love Zach Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, just like the little bit of clips I've seen. Every time, like I I scroll through Twitter and all, and I see Zach Wilson. I'm like, oh, I love that. I yeah, the, love the little that. bit I've seen, I'd agree with you. What do you think, Patrick? Um, I don't know. I don't, and I don't watch a ton of college football, so I'm not really educated about any of these things. But I like Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Justin Fields. There, there's been people that said there's no way the Texans would take Justin Fields because he shares an agent with Deshaun. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I mean, once you point that out, yeah, that's not going to happen because Deshaun's agent ain't having nothing to do with us ever again, I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm sure he would. I'm sure there will come a time he would. He's going to have clients that he wants to get the best deal, and the Texans at some point are going to have the most money and be in on a guy that, you know, I I can't imagine he burns it, uh, burns the relationship, but he's going to – He's 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 going to want to put people here again eventually. So I don't imagine that it – but not this quickly. Um, no. And not with a not with a marquee quarterback, not when there's other options, uh, other places he'd rather go. So I, I'm I'm with you though. I think it would probably be Zach Wilson would probably be my preference from the little bit I've done. I I really though, if you were trading, but let me take the the let me take the other side on it. You get the second overall pick or the third overall pick, doesn't matter which. But in that trade, you acquire Darnold or Tua. So you decide you're trading back no matter what. Um. Who do you think you're gonna? Who do you want to trade with, and what are you going to demand to move back? Well, you have to get another first round pick if you move back. Sure, from three. Yeah. So you know, for maybe Carolina at eight, I think is a good example. I think Carolina, yep. like at eight, I think they're a team that, that wants to trade with first round pick because then they have, they feel like they have a young defense in play. Their offense is set up, um, especially to get like a mobile quarterback too. So I think Carolina at eight probably get a first round pick from them and maybe a fourth or whatever. And then you probably trade back down again at eight also as well. You know, yeah. there's no reason to be like, yeah, I have to use a top 10 pick to draft a, you know, cornerback on a bad football team. So you trade, so you're trading back with Carolina. You're getting number eight overall this year and you're getting your third, you're getting their first rounder in 2022. Yeah. And then you trade down again and maybe get a second rounder or something after that. Yep. I'm with you. I think that'd be shrewd. I think that'd be shrewd. I think Casera is all about trading down too, coming from New England. Like I think this is going to be the one thing that he'll really look to do is trade down. And I think this is the best draft to trade down and just because of the limited information everybody's operating with. And I think everybody seems to think that it's a pretty deep draft across the board. If you're not going to be taking a quarterback with one of those top picks, why not? Why not move? Why not move down and, and you know, accumulate? You've got so many holes all over the roster. You need as many shots as you can. Yeah, I agree with that. And like, even the thing about this defense too, like you mentioned, like it's not about getting like a one big free agent like Carl Lawson, which would be hilarious. If that's what they did. 
it's about just like getting a couple of different players and hoping and praying, you know, that you get someone like Nick Needham who comes out of nowhere and becomes a confident starter. Like that's what this year is all about. Well, speaking of uh, hilarious free agents that I think they'd very much be in play to sign, Kyle Van Noy. Yeah, we were asked that on Twitter last night, and uh, I could see it. I don't. I mean, I think Van Noy was asked to edge rush a lot in Miami. He wasn't very good at it, and he didn't tackle very well. But I wasn't. It made me so upset watching Van Noy in Detroit, and then see him go to New England and be like a good player there it was absolutely despicable. But I would really. I'm not a big Van Noy fan though. I don't think he's a bad player, but he's precisely the kind of player that a team as bad as the Texans should not be spending money on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, I don't think he's a bad player. He can be a productive player, and he probably was asked to do things with the Dolphins that he's not best at. Uh, but it terrifies me that I, I could absolutely see the Texans saying, we're going to pay him to show our fans we're committed to bringing in talent and signing him to a three- or four-year deal with far more money than he should be getting uh, purely so the Texans can say, see, we're not rolling over on 2021. We're, we're trying to bring in free agents. We're trying to build this team. Yeah, I agree with that. I uh, so I have this is unrelated, uh, but Pat, who do you think was a better left tackle, Dwayne Brown or Martinez Rankin? I mean, uh, not Martinez Rankin. Oh, well, hmm. the Martinez Rankin. About that one. That's tough. I uh, I Freudian slipped pretty bad and, and broke my neck. <laughs> Boy, howdy, did you ever see Larry Tensel or Dwayne Brown? Who's the better left tackle in Texans uh, franchise? Or Martinez history? Rankin? You have to give him a third choice. <laughs> or or Martinez Rankin. <laughs> Secret answer D, Julian Davenport. Hey, um, free agent Julian Davenport <laughs> repping 20, 225 pounds on the squat rack. <laughs> I I stick with Dwayne Brown because, I mean, he's just been so consistent over the years. And, I mean, Tunsil's good, but um, he gets a lot of – he does get a lot of false start penalties. And I don't recall Dwayne getting quite as many. And that should just be like recency bias and me forgetting Dwayne Brown's like getting in trouble like, but I'd stick with Dwayne Brown. Yeah, I learned from Dwayne Brown never to eat the fajitas in Mexico. <laughs> so Dwayne Brown taught me. That's that's what's important. He taught you how to be a man. I would I would say Dwayne Brown as well too. Uh and like Brown was like a really good like you know mid zone outside zone blocker as well. I'm like uh, Larry, like Larry Tunsil is a fine run blocker, but it's not like the same thing with uh, with him on the other side of it too. So, uh, what about you, Tim? Are you are you Dwayne? Are you Team Dwayne Brown? Like, imagine this Twilight, uh, and it's the year two thousand nine. Are you Team Dwayne Brown? Or are you Team Larry Tunsil? I'm Team Dwayne Brown because Dwayne Brown didn't require a market resetting contract negotiated by the player without the need of an agent because the management that he was negotiating against was in so over his head that he had no idea that he was completely unnecessarily resetting the market. <laughs> I, I also like Dwayne Brown's aesthetic a lot. He had the big bulky, bulky shoulder pads, was super wide. He was just beautiful to see on the field. <laughs> and he didn't require $23 million a year. Yeah, I think he was the 26th overall pick. Is that right? He was. He yeah. was. And that was a pick that when they took him – I was one of the many that said, what the hell are you doing? This is a guy that at the time, no one thought, or not no one, obviously, but most did not think was a first-round prospect. He came in here, and he looked terrible. I mean, he was. you remember who he was splitting time with when he got no, here? When he arrived I can't remember. Ephraim Salam. Oh, God. I've forgotten about him. 
I mean, Dwayne Brown, looked, Dwayne Brown looked really bad as a rookie. Um, and that was a time where the Texans offensive line was garbage and everyone thought they needed a left tackle, but no one had, no one had, um, Dwayne Brown as a possible guy. And I remember I was one of them that blasted, blasted him for the pick that, why are you taking him? Why are you taking him there? And it ended up being one of the absolute best first round picks they've ever taken. And that's in a, that's for a franchise that's had an abnormal amount of success with their first round picks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's what the team is built on now. They no longer have that ability and all those good players are gone. And now uh, in its wake is Whitney Merciless at $12 million a year and Randall Cobb at $10.4 million a year. Uh, so in the chat from Smooth Grandma, Julian Davenport, PFF rating of 71.4. Larry Tunsil, PFF 74.1. How about that? Checkmate, atheist. We got it right there. <laughs> um, how many snaps did Julian Davenport have in 2020? All right, he played really well against the Seattle Seahawks, and then uh, I think he played like seven snaps on top of that. 80 snaps, according to Scoot Grandma, 80 snaps. Well, there you go right there. I mean, how can you argue against that sample set? Small sample sizes are for losers, you know? Life is not a small sample size, and neither is Julian Davenport. Put that on the back of a No Fear t-shirt. <laughs> with a little oh, eyes that's, on the like back. Big <laughs> that's right with the eyes on the back life is not about small sample sizes with the eyes no fear and you gotta cut the sleeves off and you know drink clearly drink 34 lights in florida wearing that shirt and, and on the back of your pickup truck needs to be the picture of calvin pissing on either the ford or the chevy logo and a, and a, and a pair of uh, Houston texans truck nuts as well <laughs> that's fine oh, i mean God, i would assume thing. i would assume with the no fear t-shirt and the Calvin sticker. You're already a Texans fan. I mean, I'd guess that anyway. So, I mean, that that's, uh, Oh, this is great. Remember when Chris Clark gave up 67 pressures in 2016? Oh, I mean, I'm sad now. God, it's, it's just, I mean, Dwayne Brown never should have been traded. And then when they traded him, the guys that they tried to market or push as legitimate left tackles. I mean, I, I, Chris Clark, um, Matt Khalil, Julian Davenport. Um, who else? Rankin. Howard for a spell, I think. Who, who'd you say? I'm, Titus I'm Howard for a spell? Sorry. Matt, My, yeah, Titus, Titus Howard was drafted to be a left tackle. That's right. Yeah, that's – and Mark, Martinez Rankin was – Was a left tackle Mississippi State. Right, but when they drafted him, they drafted him to be a right tackle? I said he should play right tackle, but I don't know what they were trying to do with him. Well, they only drafted him after you told them to. I know. So I would assume they were following your recommendation about him playing right tackle. One of the three greatest moments of my life. (laughs) What were the other two? Uh, They're very personal. (laughs) (laughs) But but number – does does the Martinez-Rankin post – is it number one, number two, or number three? I would put it at three. Okay. So there are two things in your whole life that have happened to you that were better. Yeah. I'd put it at three. No, neither of them involve the Texans? They don't involve the Texans, no. Is, do either of them involve blogging? No. no, no. They involve okay. the Rangers, don't they? Be honest. No, no. no. <laughs> so your top sports-related moment in your entire life is writing a post about Martinez Rankin? Yes. My second, okay. the second one is Josh Hamilton's home run in Game Six of the World Series in the top of the tenth inning or top of the eleventh inning. 
How'd the rest of that game go? Yeah. Uh, I uh, The rest of the game, so whenever he hit that home run when Freeze did, I threw my glass against the fence outside the house and broke it everywhere. And then went uh-huh. to my bedroom and cried. And then, <laughs> and then it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I went my girlfriend at the time, and we went for a walk. I walked like five hours. And I was just like, it's just, you don't understand. Like, it's just everything. Yeah, because I used the Texas Rangers as a metaphor for my entire life up to that point. And, uh, and I was like, we're so close, you know. And it was very, it very, it hurt really bad. It was what, 2011? Yeah, 2011. Okay. But that was also the year that the Texans won their first division title. I yeah, guess that was later. Year. That was the mecca of, uh, of my sports watch, watching history. It was right there, 2011. Okay. okay. You're close. You were right there. Yeah. You were right there. And the, then- t- the 2010 World Series wasn't bad because Ian Kinsler hit that home run. And the ball hit the top of the wall, yeah, like right here, and then bounced back into play. I was like, "Yeah, it's just not our year. It's not going to happen." They got it. There's nothing stopping this one at all. Oh, so close. Yeah, so close. And then, well, at least at least you were able to write about Martinez Rankin and have that kind of effect. That was it. Was all you that made them draft him in the third round? I love Brian Game. We go. We're best friends. You know. If I need that. If Could he'd you listen to you more, maybe he'd still be employed. I think so. Could you I mean, could you find that tweet and retweet it for me? Which the one? Mark, the one where I added – it was on our, our the Bell Red blog account. I added Houston Sex and I said draft Martinez Rankin for the tweet for it. You want the tweet for whenever I told to draft yeah, Martinez could, Rankin? Yeah, could you find that? I can try it. I can I mean, try. To be fair, how many tweets about Martinez Rankin can there be? I mean, on all of Twitter, Weston's got to be responsible for at least 378. Most of them are probably directly to Martinez asking you up. <laughs> you want to talk ball? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I sent Derek Newton a direct message on Twitter to try to get him to come on the podcast, and he didn't answer me. Ah, that's, that's disappointing. Yeah, I was the, I was the only one who went to bat for Derek Noon, and he became a, a competent right tackle. You were. Yeah. I was the only sh- one. That's such a shame. What happened to him? Yeah, Von Miller tore his patella tendons, both of like them, both on knees. One, yeah, one pass rush. Wow, God, just just the worst. I was at that game. I was at that game in Denver. That was Brock Osweiler's homecoming. Yeah. Oh God, was it? It was. Oh, man. That was his they, game. He was, he was going to show them what they lost. Because <laughs> they went 2-0 and because they beat Tennessee and Chicago. And then they lost – New or they went 3-0. and And then they lost New England on Thursday Night Football whenever Jacoby Brissett, you know, outran them for – outthrew them on the ground. And then they lost to, I think, Denver after that. And they went from 3-0 and to 3-3 and pretty quickly, I believe. Man, that was – those were the good old days. Those were the it good old days. said that those were the good old days. I know that the, that the date year of Brock Osweiler is considered, you know, not a bad thing anymore. No, no. And, and I mean, even in retrospect, I know obviously he was terrible, but I think most of us are the same mind. Like the Texans were in a terrible spot at quarterback. They took a swing. They missed. They quickly moved on the next year. They did everything yeah. right. You know, yeah. you'd rather not pay Brock Osweiler, but, they realized they didn't have a solution on the roster. They took a swing. It didn't work out. 
and then they 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 did their best to fix it immediately, as opposed to how they're run now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get I get that, and but God, that was so hard to watch. <laughs> it's yep. all been hard. It's all hard to watch. I, yep. I agree. I'd rather pay for him than try to make Brian Hoyer happen. Yep. So in 16, they beat Chicago and Kansas City. I was incorrect. Then they lost New England. Then they beat Tennessee. Lost to Minnesota. Remember that Vikings game when they had like 90 yards of total offense? Yep. Oh gosh, that was an awful. And then I remember that I was really hungover and that Vikings horn kept blaring the whole time. Is that and it played the entire half of that game because they went the down. Yellow like, horn. Yeah, 23-0. And then they beat the Colts on Thursday night football to save their season with that game-winning touchdown drive uh, where he hit C.J. Fedorowicz. And then they lost to Denver after that. And they beat uh, Detroit on Halloween. I'll never forget the game they had that year in Mexico City against the Raiders where they were everyone was shining like lasers into Brock Osweiler's eyes and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man, that was just <laughs> – it was in watching the game was insane. It's like, God, are they this nuts normally? And why are there so many Raiders fans in the stands? Diaz, they're spooky. Diaz de los Muertos, you know, the Raiders are spooky. Yeah, that's why they, um, that and I remember those first two games with Osweiler, they were both home games, I think, the Chiefs and the Bears. And he looked like a competent NFL quarterback in both those games. Yeah, he could throw down field against that yep. Bears game. We were all yeah. excited that he was actually throwing downfield, that they were taking shots. And man, it just—it all fell apart. And then, and then, then the Patriots played Osweiler, and it all went downhill from there. Yeah, I, yep. that was the podcast. So I think I like Brock Osweiler. And then the Patriots game happened, and they played too high. They played too high safeties, and that was it for them. That was where it all ended. Yeah, yeah. that's what happened. That was the blueprint from there out. Man, all, uh, all right. I'm gonna make a. I'm make a Twitter video of. The best name redacted throws from week one against Chicago. And I'd be like, wow, remember the good old days. You should. Uh, <laughs> I I think we are going to be I think we are going to be longing for the salad days of um of Brock Osweiler quarterbacking this next year. Honestly, next year I'm wondering if we're gonna be longing for two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. All right, so I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to make a cup of coffee, and I guess Mike Meltzer's going to call on in like 10 minutes or so. We can talk to Mike for a while. Okay. I got to bounce and go to a softball game, but I, you got me for the next nine minutes, and I'll be back tonight for the uh For the, the finale. Final. Yeah, and I'll have to like head out in a few minutes myself. So I'm, I'm still embarrassed that I had so much trouble with the 24-hour portion of it by making it from 8 to 8. And I was like, well, we have hour 8. Why isn't it adding up correctly? You know, mm-hmm. So that's I, why I, we have the 25-hour one instead. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's, you, you, you're a man of many talents. Math isn't one of them. It's okay. <laughs> it came out better this way. I think it did. I, I found the tweet, Weston. Do you want me to retweet it now? Yes, please, please. Okay, I'll copy you on it. I love it. Just so, just so you please draft Martinez Rankin, Houston Texans, <laughs> yeah. April twenty six, two thousand eighteen. God, what a great day! <laughs> I'm going to say Matt Weston has said this is one of the top three moments of his life. <laughs> that way, you can print out the tweet and scrapbook it. <laughs> he can hold it. Cl- he close to his heart at night and sleep and dream of it. This, oh, but you said it was the third best. 
Not, I need to be specific. This was the third best moment of your life. Yeah, that's what he, that is what he said. Yeah. The other two are personal, whatever that right. means. Right, right. He didn't. He wouldn't go into detail. He wouldn't tell us really what he what he meant by that. So you got to figure it's some is, kind of which, some kind of federal crime. You think you would think probably, <laughs> probably, probably. So, um, are you more bullish on the Seahawks or the Texans' future, say, five years from now, Patrick? Um, since Wilson's relationship with the Seahawks is salvageable, I'm going to say the Seahawks. It's pretty not like it's not really close because I mean the tech the Texans just look like they are going down and have no interest in not just not about to get back up, but show no interest in it. Right, and. At least with the Seahawks, they made to the playoffs last year. They're still reasonably well, well put together. They, they still have problems, obviously. Their defense is pretty crap, which probably is driving Pete Carroll insane. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely say the Seahawks still have the um, the better of it for at least the next few years. I reserve the right to change my mind if Wilson gets traded, in which case I may end up football entirely and become just become a a hermit in the woods and watch Seattle cracking games. Do you, do you think they're going to trade him? What Wilson? Yeah. I don't think so because, <laughs> but I, but based on how the Deshaun Watson things panned out and how Wilson's saga is kind of very similar to that. I'm not dismissing that out of hand anymore because weird shit is afoot at the circle K now. Yeah. I, I think they're going to trade him, man. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I could see it, and because he's he is really unhappy. So I mean, and rightfully so, because again, they just can't seem to put together an offensive line. But oh god, that would just be that would just be too perfect for me. I mean, the let since the 2019 World Series, this this sports for me has just gone to complete shit. Yep. I mean, for Houston fans too, but just the this Wilson thing would just be the the crowning turd in the punch bowl. Yep. Yep. And it's it's really it's kind of on some level it's sort of similar to the Deshaun thing in that it went from zero to sixty so quickly. Yeah. Um, in that there was never really any talk of him being unhappy. Certainly not to the point of him wanting to be a trade of him wanting to be traded. But mm-hmm. it went, you know, and it's all right after after Deshaun saying he wanted out. Um, came out and certainly the timing of him uh, being open to a trade, I think came out just hours after the Deshaun Watson met with Cully and still wants out news came out. So um, I I really, I think they're going to get rid of him. I'm going to be really interested to see what they get for him. Uh, Because like we talked about earlier, I would think, I would think if you're the, if you're the um, Seahawks, you're saying I need at least three ones. But you're probably not getting them. Maybe you're getting you're two ones. Getting Maybe you're getting two ones and a two, or two yeah. ones and two twos. Um, two ones and a two sounds pretty accurate. And then it then it becomes it's and then it becomes a, an issue of does that in some way does that seemingly for other people set the market as to what Deshaun would be worth, assuming the Texans don't trade Deshaun first. Yeah, that's. I think if one will definitely affect the other. The thing I, but on a weird, in an odd way, um, if being, com- if I'm completely detached from the situation, like I don't care, if I don't care about either of these guys, 
in an odd way, I'm kind of happy that they're like raising a fuss and threatening to be wanting to be traded and stuff. Because I mean, football is so notoriously pro ownership, pro management that it's nice to see employees like fi labor finally getting a chance to flex their own muscle in a in a sense. I hate that it's my players doing it. Mm -hmm. I hate that it's guys I care about a lot. But in in an abstract sense, it's pretty cool to see that you know employees are finally getting to, you know, make some demands of management for once. It is interesting that, that in the NFL that sort of has been immune from the player empowerment movement in a lot of ways, it is interesting to see how, um, to see how things are starting to shift. And, and Deshaun in that way is sort of a trailblazer um, in saying, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be here. And it is, it is on some level, it's kind of crazy that he's doing this literally six months after he signed a, a four year extension to stay here. Mm -hmm. But it is it, it's really interesting to see how this player empowerment stuff is starting to seep into the NFL after it had been with the NFL after after it really made hay in the NBA to the point that I think a lot of people would say the NBA is worse for it competitively. Um, and we'll see if it we'll see if it has that same effect in the NBA on the NFL, because I, I think that's where we're headed. I, the Texans are going to trade Deshaun Watson right. and it's going to. I think it may, it may, I'm not going to say it's going to set off a, a cavalcade of, of similar demands or requests, but I don't know that you'll be able to put the toothpaste back in the tube. I think you may see more, you may see people do what Watson and, and Wilson are starting to do more, which is, I, I don't want to be here anymore. Get rid right. of me, trade me, uh, which it, again, it's basically been unheard of in the NFL. Yeah. Cause I mean, in, when it comes right down to it, these Wilson and Watson have what they cannot possibly replicate themselves. So management ha may have all like the, the machinations of like contract rules and stuff, but they have, but the players have the thing they want. So really they have the cards. Right. 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 I mean, it's really, it's, 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 it's kind of surprising in some level that it's taken this long to get there, but here we are and it stinks it stinks that the Texans are the ones who are sort of going to be the canary down the coal mine. But I, I have wondered if the, if, if the Texans management isn't getting uh, invisible pressure, pressure that we're, that's never going to become public from the rest of the NFL saying, man, you can't trade him. If you do that, you're setting a precedent that's going to harm all of us. And you need, to go, you need to go ahead and call that bluff and say, we're not trading you. You're under contract. You either play here or you don't play anywhere, and it, because it's easy to say that if you're not if you're one of the 31 other teams, but if you're the Texans, by not having him, if he refuses to play, you know, there's there if he refuses to play, your team's not gonna not gonna win, and you're not getting any better. You're not gonna get the assets that you could get to to send him somewhere else. Right. So, so I, Texans have to decide. The Texans are, are basically in an untenable position where they have to decide if they're going to hold the line for the rest of the league or worry about what's going to improve their franchise. Well, here's a question I have for you now. Because um, let's say this drags out into the regular season and he does, Deshaun Watson loses the year of his like a full season and has to put like tech back the year onto his contract. So you're saying you're under this under this hypothetical, you're saying he does not come back in week 10, he sits out the whole year. Yeah. His contract like, is told. So right. he's still under contract for another five years after 2021. Right. Okay. And let's say he remains he remains uh 
insistent that he gets traded. Texans like neither they could never come together for like they never get traded. Mm-hmm. Do you think Deshaun Watson would ever consider like going full Calvin Johnson and just retiring outright? Yeah, I would. I would Rather imagine at some point, sure, absolutely. The, the the rub on that would be that the Texans would still own his rights. He couldn't just go retire and sign somewhere else. But yeah, I would imagine there's some point where he says, man, I don't need this. You're not going to trade me. Then then I'm just not playing for anybody. Now, it's a lot easier to do that when you're Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson was what, 30 maybe? I think so, yeah. Uh, as opposed to 25 uh, and and or 26 at this point in your scenario. Um, I, I wouldn't I, – I think it's very, very unlikely, but I wouldn't totally dismiss it as a possibility. People get emotional and sometimes they make emotional decisions. The smart, wise, the, the far wiser uh, take would be to say we got to figure out a way to to get me out of here. If I mean, and, and we've kind of talked about this too. If you're the Texans and Deshaun's not going to play for you, there's part of you that probably says, "All right, fine, we'll suck next year," probably to the tune of having the first pick of the draft. And then, if if we want to reevaluate at that point, we'll be coming at it from far more of a position of strength because we'll have the first pick in every round. And then any additional assets we get for trading Deshaun, we're, we're that much stronger than we would be by more or less being strong-armed into a trade in a year in which we had no draft picks. Right. So, so I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to yeah. be interesting to see what happens. It, it sucks that the Texans are, are the ones that are going to have to sort of chart this course for the rest of the league, but such is, such is the path that they laid out by handling the things the way they did in, in a totally a totally avoidable situation. Indeed. Oh, God. All right, Matt. I'll ask, I'll ask you the same thing I asked Tim. Um, let's say um, let's say that Deshaun and the Texans never come to a deal and they just it his contract tolls, so he goes to like he adds a he remains on contract for five years. Do you think at there comes a point where Deshaun Watson decides to just hang it up and retire like Calvin Johnson rather than ever play it down for the Texans again or ever play football again? I don't, I could imagine it, you know, it's so extreme and I think he likes playing football. You know, I think he's, I think he enjoys the game. Like, I mean, he can retire, I guess, and not have to worry about money ever again, but I think he's somebody who really enjoys playing, enjoys the game. And so I couldn't imagine a world where that would occur. It just seems so extreme, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I just, it was just something that was on my mind. So I wanted to figure Mm -hmm. out what y'all thought about like the real extreme possibility of this. I think the biggest thing is like nothing's off the table though. Like nothing's too outlandish. Nothing's too stupid. Nothing's too extreme. Like anything's a possible reality. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at with the Texans. Like I came to the conclusion, like just before the end, like a few games before the end of the season that um, the way to view whatever the Texan, like how things will play out for the Texans is imagine the worst, dumbest, but funniest thing that could possibly happen and that's what's going to happen and that's what arthur just said in the chat he said i need to consider what the absolute worst way the texans can handle <laughs> it is then multiply it by infinity and i'll have the answer <laughs> so, on that note boys i'm gonna bow out i got a softball game to get to but i look forward to talking to you later tonight yeah keep fighting the good fight yep so there y'all with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 